Episode 52, and you hustled back from the Gorge George Washington. I always liked the fact that it was the Gorge George Washington. The Gorge at George. Yeah. It's kind of cool, huh? And you've been there probably... Oh, I don't even know. We, I used to day trip it, which is a slog. 50 times? No, probably 30 not. 30 times? Probably closer to that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, most of them free with And now time. ask me how many times I've been to the Gorge, George Washington. Let's see, you've lived here a long time, 23 years? I've lived here uh, 20, 95, 20, about 25 years. 25 yeah. years. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'm sure you take yeah. the family, you go all the time. How all many times time. have you been to the Gorge? Well, the family's never been. <laughs> yeah. I think my, my wife has been because she went with me, but my kids, I went one time. One time. One time, and it was one of the most beautiful settings. I couldn't even believe when I got there that there's actually concerts. Yeah. At this place, I'm sure it's the same as when I, I haven't gone in 20 years, 15 and it, years. And it really had an impact on you that you go back every year. Well, it's like the <laughs> well, it's it's kind of like the old story. I know that maybe we shouldn't get into old stories, but it's kind of like the old story of my my brother and the golf the golf outing. My oldest brother who has a temper. I I'm, I, I love to play golf. The middle son loves to play golf, but the oldest son. My brother Jay, you probably have met my brother Jay. I've met Jay, yeah. yeah. He he uh, doesn't play golf. Really? He doesn't play golf. He doesn't have the temperament for it. Yeah. When he was a kid, my my father brought my brother Jay and Sander, my two brothers, to play like a – dropped them off to play a golf round like when they were like 10 or 11 years old, 12 okay. years old. They were playing some, some – not miniature, but what do you call it? Executive golf – par three golf Right, course. right, right. And he dropped him off in West Palm Beach. This would have been probably 1972, 73. <laughs> yeah. He drops the two boys. And they never got along. They always were fighting. <laughs> he dropped them off. And my brother Jay was using my Uncle Leo's old golf clubs. Okay. <laughs> Uncle Leo, who was gone. He was using my Uncle Leo's old golf club, clubs. And Jay threw a temper tantrum. And threw the putter in the pond. Yeah, threw Uncle Leo's putter in the pond. Poor Uncle Leo. And when my father came back to pick him up, they got in the car. And of course, Sander was like, "Tell Dad." Yeah, <laughs> couldn't wait to sell him out. Huh? Tell Dad. Are you going to tell Dad? What right. are you going to tell Dad? And right. Jay's like, "I'm not." Tell Dad. And Dad's in the front seat. <laughs> and my, you know, my, you knew my dad. I mean, yeah, yeah. He, he could, he could, uh, yeah, he had a, he was a Type A personality. Yeah. Uh, what? What? Tell me what? Oh, tell me what? Yeah, he's not going to let it go. There's no getting out of this, right? This is the guy who made Jay eat the whole pot of vegetables, right? right? right. What? Tell me what? What's going on back there? Come on, and Sanders, like, come on, tell him. Yeah. Tell him what you did. <laughs> tell him what you did. But to be fair, if I was the parent there, I would have to know too. I would have to know. Of course I, you I, would. I wouldn't let it go. Oh, uh, yeah, but, yeah. But would you be? Would you be unching from the back, the brother, to tell the story? To my sibling, yes, I would. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't wait to sell my sister out. So Uncle Jay says, so <laughs> Uncle Jay, Jay says, I threw Uncle Leo's putter in the pond. And my father, I think, stopped the car and turned to, the, they were both in the back yeah. seat and said, you listen to me, young man. Oh boy. This is him, he's 12. <laughs> yeah. You threw Uncle Leo's putter in the pond? She says, yeah, I got, I, I got upset and I threw Uncle Leo's putter in the pond. He said, you, you listen to me. You are not to play golf ever again until i tell you otherwise wow and jay will tell you now he's he's uh 50 gonna be 59 has Has dad dad never told me i could play (laughs) he's still waiting (laughs) so i went to the gorge george washington yes and when i got there i think a security said how do you enjoy it mitch i said it's great you are you listen to me you are not to come back to the gorge george washington you do what you're told most of the time so i can see you following that carly simon and hall and oats this would have been like night this would have been oh 
God, I want to say late night. I want to say in the nineties. I don't think it was the year two thousand. I think it might have been like nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, how was ninety eight? How was the mosh pit during that show? Pretty good. <laughs> Just jump in there and beat people up and get crazy. When she broke into anticipation, the mosh pit went oh, crazy. I can, I can imagine. You know what that song? That's the ketchup. That's the famous ketchup song. Oh, I remember the commercial. Heinz ketchup it slowly yeah, come yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, it was a great concert. I had enjoyed myself. Did you drive over? And drive back the same night because yes, I never, sta- I've never, I've never stayed over. So you went on Friday, what would have been Friday, yeah, like and Friday then came morning. back on Saturday. That's right. right. That's a long twenty-four hours. And you, and you went to see Hall and Oates. You know your kiss, well, your kiss is on my list. I've seen Hall and Oates. I'm not against Hall. Have Oates. you? My wife loves them. I, I could take or leave them. They're okay. I, I mean, I grew up with them. I don't mind them. Uh, no, we went to go see Mumford and Sons. I thought that that. Now I said to you before we started recording mm-hmm. as as wheels would say taping yes i thought mumford and sons was kind of a country western no they do have a banjo player so if you i could see where you may think that if you've heard them it's a little more folk rock if i had to and this is something in. that your 10 year old daughter likes she does so yes so on pandora you can like put in a band and then they'll play songs from the band and other bands like it so my wife for years, Pandora, she would just make a Mumford and Sons station, and my daughter was always around. So my daughter and my wife love them. Really? Th- this show was like my wife's Bruce Springsteen or The really? Stones. Yeah. I have kept... you ever seen Springsteen? I- I'm not a huge fan. No. Oh, but this the is best like concert ever. We'll see. That's what I hear. But this is like my Pearl Jam. That's like my band where I go watch two and a half hours. This of... Mumford and Sons for my wife. This oh. is this is my wife's Pearl Jam or whatever band you're did into. Did you surprise your daughter or did she know that you were going or what? I mean, this was a, is this her first concert or she's been to like the, the Gorge more than I have. This is her <laughs> third concert in a year. <laughs> More than you. Her first concert was a guy named John Fogarty. You familiar oh, with him? Yeah, sure. That was her first. How many 10-year-olds can say their first concert that? was John Fogarty? What was your first concert? Oh, you, A, you may not remember, and B, I'm embarrassed to say it. I don't think you'll be any more embarrassed than my first concert. <laughs> right. Well, if you you got to exclude my my parents used to take us out to Vegas and we would go to right. see Sammy Davis and we'd go see Wayne uh, Newton or something. Uh, Frank Sinatra twice. That's great. Yeah. You know, we would see yeah Wayne Newton. We'd see all those. So I don't first one without them. parents. First one without yeah. parents. Mine is a guy. Mine is a, more embarrassing than yours. I don't know. Mine's Terrence Trent Darby. Familiar with him? No. He announced he's more talented than Prince and Michael Jackson. <laughs> And you bought it and went to the concert? He was insanely talented, but once he said that, everyone just went, see you later, you're canceled, uh, and he hasn't been heard from since. Vacation, vacation party. Oh, Va- Go-Go's. That's me. You, I like the Go-Go's, though. <laughs> I, I, I don't hate the Go-Go's. The West Palm Beach Auditorium, the Go-Go's. Vacation, all I ever wanted. Vacation had know. to get away. Yeah. yeah I like the Go-Go's. Belinda Carlisle had a huge crush. No, what, do you, what do you want from her? Who didn't? She she had those fake eyelashes. I think they were fake eyelashes. I'm sure they were. And I've heard stories about her on the road. And if you... <laughs> you if, and, a, if a young you Mitch your Levy... background. If a young Mitch Levy could have bumped into... You, you and Tepper oh, tell each other stories, make each other stories There's out. like books out there on it. That oh, like, really? Yeah, Belinda Carlisle. They went after it hard. I mean, they were... They, All the Go-Go's or just Belinda Carlisle? Then uh, she broke out into a separate career. I saw Michael Jackson and the Jacksons in the Victory Tour uh, at the Orange Bowl. I always wanted to go to that. I was so jealous I didn't go. And, and I don't know if I've told you... I know I've told it on this podcast i saw Ed, one of my favorite concerts wasn't a concert at all it wasn't a music concert at all it was eddie murphy in his prime oh did you really yeah i yelled eddie murphy like have i told you that no 
Was it like during the delirious or the raw? He was the at the top of the yeah. the top of the world. Ask me that question at some point. Remind me to tell you. I'm sure I've I've told it on the. Uh, see, I'm repeating these stories on the podcast. People who are longtime Mitch Unfiltered podcast <laughs> listeners, right. they're like, "Tell me something new." You're telling <laughs> yeah. me the same story, but that's one of my favorite. 15 seconds of fame when I yelled to Eddie Murphy on stage and he acknowledged me. That's great. He's going to start stand-up again. He just signed a deal with Netflix to do some stand-up. I heard they're doing Coming to America again. Yes, they are. Did you did you like Eddie Murphy in his... Oh, pro- oh he, he was, was... I had Delirious memorized. I had, the, I had his whole act memorized. Give me some. Well, it's so inappropriate. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't... It's just F-bombs. And, and actually, it doesn't really hold up well. It's kind of homophobic. And, you uh, know, for yeah. the time, it was a little different yeah. time. And, and it wouldn't be as good coming from you as it was from him. Uh, that's exactly <laughs> right, yes. But my mom would have me come out and do it for, like, relatives. You're kidding. It's like one of the times I could swear around the house. Really? Of, Your mom had you do the, the, the yeah, F-bombs I, and everything? I had the whole thing. I had oh it memorized. The whole delirious. And now I've watched it since, and it's kind of coming back to me. That's so one of these hysterical. days, I'll do it for you and your family. You'll love it. I think it. you should do some on the, on the podcast. We'll just make it explicit at some point. Not, oh, at some not, point, okay. Because yeah. 52 is going to be family for family. Gotcha. Okay. I don't want to. 52 doesn't have a good ring for your delirious. <laughs> All <routine>. right. <laughs> but the gorge was great. If you haven't been, if you're in the area, it's a trek. And she loved it. Your daughter loved it. She was getting a little tired, but she did love it. Yeah. And where did you stay? Is there places? Did you just camp out or something? Well, my camping days are over at the gorge. <laughs> Last time we did that, yeah. people just don't go to bed. And I'm like, I'm, I'm too old for this. There's fights and it's chaos. It's, do you still call it going to bed when you're camping? Is it going to well, sleep? Yeah, I guess. I'm, I guess it's not. Are well. you going to bed? A bed is what all you right, make it. All right, honey, I'm going to bed now. <laughs> you, you throw a towel on the ground. That's your bed. <laughs> My wife and I put an air mattress in the back of the SUV. Neither of us could sleep. At 6 a.m., I look over. I was like, "You want to get out of here?" She's like, "Let's go." So we, not not this uh, time, but last so time. Where we just, did you stay this we time? We crawled into the front seat and drove away. Uh, a friend of mine owns a house on the river down there. So oh we, wow, fancy schmancy. Now. Well, it was very nice of him to let us stay there. And there's a shuttle. Did, did you make him leave or? or well, what? He, he was. It was just sitting empty. Oh wow. Yeah. So he gave us his house Should for the weekend. Stayed a couple extra days. Look where I am. <laughs> it was a tough sell getting back here at 9 Episode 52, available just about everywhere that you can find podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Podcast Addict. Please subscribe and give us a rating. And by all means, tell a few coworkers. Spread the word for, God, the word for God's sake. That's right, around the world. Around the world. Yeah. Uh, 52, everybody's asking, are you doing part four of the interview of me on 52? The answer is... On this show, are you doing the part four of the episode on this show of the interview of me? The answer is... Can't remember what we decided. The answer... You don't know? I can't remember. It's the I, next show. It's 52 I feel like P. it's no, yeah. yeah the yeah. answer is no. And by the way, I want pe- the listeners to know that when we started this, our plan wasn't to like trick people or anything, right? <laughs> we were going to do it in one show. That was our plan. And now we're like part we're, eight. We're <laughs> <laughs> so I know people... I saw a little bit on Twitter, like how, you know, we don't get to hear the end of it. Well, they didn't get to hear the mid. They didn't complain about the middle. There's already been a part on, on the paper. Why aren't that's they complaining true. about the, the middle? Was the best part. That, it's like the Oreo cookie. That's right. It's that's, the best. The icing. My least favorite part. I love the. I don't know why Oreos never sold just the cookie part. Because the the stuff in the middle is gross. I think it's waxy. It's eh. Maybe okay. it was good in the 60s. Okay, but you're, you're like, odd. I don't see double stuff as anything cool or triple stuff. Well, that, they do. Why do you think they do double stuff or triple well, stuff? Is it because everybody thinks like you, the stuff in the middle is no good? People are stupid. Do that's you hear why. them saying double cookie? They should. Do they do triple cookie? The cookie's the best they part. Do, they do double stuff <laughs> and triple stuff, not double cookie and triple cookie. I'm familiar with that. Thank you for the food lesson from a guy who won't eat an avocado. But thank you. <laughs> I'm going to listen to you about what tastes good. All right. Episode 52P coming up on Thursday. We'll have, uh, it's just going to be you and me. 
no interviews. It's just you interviewing me for as long as you want. And hopefully part four can be the end of this thing. Yes. Even though I know people want it to go on and on and on. They think we should do it every show. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I've only lived 52 years. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I only have so many stories. I'm not going to start making stories up. <laughs> right. Uh, this is episode 52. So what's coming up on episode 52? This episode. I've got an interview that I, I truly, and I know I, I, I hear myself saying these types of things about in promoting what we do. I hear myself doing it more and more. But when I tell you that in 25 years, I was really thinking about this the other day. I did this a while back. In the 25 years of doing interviews in Seattle, I don't ever remember an interview quite like this one that you're going to hear on episode 52. Now, I know that there are going to be, there's going to be a... a, a a percentage of our audience is going to get turned off by the what they think the topic is immediately and not listen to it. And that will be your loss because it's not a golf interview. I promise you, it's not really a golf interview. It is of a golfer, but the story is amazing. And the way the guy tells it, his life story, is incredible. The guy's name is Ken Green. When I was growing up, Ken Green in the 80s was like one of the top 15 American golfers in the world. He, okay. he, he won like five times, six times, seven times on the PGA Tour. He was on Ryder Cups representing the United States. So he was at a comp, never won a major, but won five or seven tournaments and was a really good American player, but was known as this incredible free spirit. Like was always getting, he's the guy that's always getting in trouble. He was Antonio Brown. He's always challenging authority. Okay. And in golf, you challenge the authority. And he could get away with it when he was at the top of his game. So he he was always kind of controversial, outspoken, would say anything about anybody. The press loved him yeah. because he wouldn't hold back. He was unfiltered. So that was sort of unique for golf right. at that time. I mean, I suppose it's unique now. We don't really have anybody outspoken, That's, but very a unique. A little bit, a little bit. But this guy really kind of broke the mold when it came. And he got in trouble all the time. He was always fined and suspended and whatever. <laughs> okay, Okay. Then his career started to fade away. And then we started finding out that there was more to the Ken Green story, which is really heartbreaking. From his youth, the way he was treated, abused, the whole thing. A few years ago, Ken Green, who's now kind of excommunicated because he's, not, he's now 55, 58, maybe 60 years old. He wants to play on the Champions Tour. No one really wants him because he, pissed at, he, he burned every bridge that there was when gotcha. he was a player. He's in a, about, I don't know, four, five, six years ago, he's in a, um, uh, an RV, a motorhome, whatever you call mm-hmm. it. He's in there with his, he goes through a painful divorce. He has trouble with his kids and, okay. and there's a lot of troubles in his past. He's going to tell this story. He's in um, an RV and he's sleeping. His, his wife is driving. His brother is in, the, or his sister's in the car or in the RV, his dog's in the RV, and it crashes. Oh, boy. And everybody dies except for him. Oh, boy. He loses his leg. Ugh. Now he's trying to play golf without a leg. On a prosthetic. On a prosthetic. Wow. And he can't get into He's having trouble getting into tour. He tells his life story on this show. And the way he tells it, I, he... he, he just listen. Just I can't listen. wait. You will laugh. 
You will laugh. He will tell story. He told stories about his days of being irreverent and his gambling days and yeah, yeah. all of the shenanigans. Uh-huh. And he'll have you laughing at one point of the interview and then on the verge of tears and his darkness and how he's tried to overcome all. And and just a, a short time after the RV accident, his son overdosed and died. He oh lost a gosh. son. I mean, it is an unbelievable story of a guy who is at one time one of the best American players on the PGA Tour. His name is Ken Green. He'll be interview number one. And I just say to the non-golfers in our audience, the people that are not interested, give it a chance. It's, it doesn't impact me one way or the other. Now that you're listening, it doesn't impact me whether you listen to the Ken Green interview or not. I, I, but I would like you to give it a chance. I'd like everybody to give it a chance. Listen to a few minutes of it. And then turn it off, fast forward if you want to fast forward. So it's not a bunch of nerdy golf talk about the 14th hole at Sawgrass or any of that? Is, is, <laughs> is that a course? There is some, there is, there's just some funny golf talk about, you know, he, he caught, I, I don't want to give yeah, it away. Yeah. Just, okay. just listen to it. I'm in. Okay. Two other uh, interviews, Brady Henderson and I, after you and I, will dissect the Seahawks exhibition win over the Denver Broncos. Jason Locke and Fora and his dog Copper are going to be both on the show today. <laughs> oh, yeah, you hear Copper a little oh, bit? Oh, yeah. Copper is known for years back on the – I did a radio show back. Oh, that's right. I heard something about that. Copper used to be on our show all the time. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Copper a... has his own Twitter handle. Oh. Copper's known because Lock and Four goes on all these radio shows around the country, and Copper can't shut the hell up in gotcha. the background. So <laughs> Co- Copper's been on it. In Seattle, Minneapolis, New York, Philadelphia, Chicago. Copper is well-known around the NFL world. He's bigger than us. Yeah. Copper. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and huge. all of our football chats, by the way, this year will be presented by Fireside Home Solutions, fireplaces, garage doors, barbecue spaces, all available at firesidehomesolutions.com. Scott, episode 52 of Mitch Unfiltered isn't possible without the amazing support of our partners in this project. And I ask that you consider Zeke's Pizza with 17 locations from Bothell to Tacoma. Truly homegrown in the Northwest, offering a perfect spot to watch a game, enjoy pizza and a cold craft beer, or bring your youth sports teams. Also a delivery service through Zeke'sPizza.com. When my family has its March Madness pool, we always do it at Zeke's Pizza. Daniel's Broiler, four all-time locations, each providing different ambiances, but that same world-class service and best steaks anywhere. Less Shy, South Lake Union, all the way atop Bellevue Place, and the newest jewel downtown at the brand-new Hyatt Regency. There's just no place like Daniel's for special occasions. The Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage. More and more families taking this opportunity to save money on a refinance of their home. Start with Jordan Flowers and Guild Mortgages Group in Kirkland waiting to save you money every month with three top 1% brokers in the Kirkland office alone. The phone number 425-250-3150. That's 425-250-3150. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. I got a chance to interview Tyler Hay, the CEO, last week. A new show that's spearheading intelligent conversation about wealth management called the Evergreen Exchange. Check out what Tyler and his crew do at Evergreen Golf Call. That's Evergreen, G-A-V-E-K-A-L.com. Episode 52, it's going to be a good one, starts now. Unfiltered. I have a philosophy about the NFL, and it goes something like this. You don't have to be very good 
to be in a position with three weeks to go to make the playoffs in the NFL. You just don't have to be very good. Everybody asks me, will the Seahawks contend for a playoff spot? And I always answer the same way. I've been answering it for 25 years the same way. And I say this, all you've got to be really is six and seven through 13 weeks or seven and six through 13 weeks to be in the playoff conversation. There's almost never a year where seven and six through 13 doesn't have you at the very least thinking playoffs if you win out. So you don't have to be very good, which means you don't have to be very good to be eight and eight. Unfiltered. The quarterback has become way too important. It actually, for a lot of people, kills the enjoyment of the league. It's like, Either you have a quarterback or you don't. It's the most important thing in sports, the quarterback position. I think it's way too important because of the way the league is set up. But if you got Russell Wilson and you got Bobby Wagner, right? And you got Chris Carson and you got Dwayne Brown. I'm going to mention those four guys. Dwayne Brown, your left tackle. Russell Wilson, your quarterback. You've got an all-world all linebacker and you've got a pretty darn sturdy running back. You've got a chance. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 52, Hot Shot Scott. Episode Dan Altavilla. How does that ring to you? Does that have a ring? <laughs> Do you even know what Dan Altavilla is? Didn't he help people like improve their homes? Is that the right, right guy? I don't no. Know. Okay. I don't know who that he'd is. Be a, uh, he'd be a reliever for the Seattle in the Seattle Mariners organization. Currently. Currently. Oh, wow. Episode 52. Episode David Ardsma, a former reliever. Familiar with him. Whose, whose claim to fame is his name. His, his last name started with two A's. So if there was anybody ever that was called first in roll call before oh, him. What a life. He was David Ardsma. First. And then he could just, you know, do whatever he did. Episode Arthur Rhodes. Episode oh, yeah. Kevin Mawai, who just went into the Hall of Fame. Right. When he played for the Seahawks, he wore 52. I have a funny Kevin Mawai story for you off the air, though. I hate to do that to the listeners. but Why? It's, it's yeah, I don't know if it's appropriate, but I'll, I, remind me to tell you sometime. Every time I hear Kevin Mawai, it's all I think about. Anyway, go on. <laughs> Episode Calvin Booth of the Sonics. Oh, I remember Calvin. I don't think any of those guys are going to make it. No, there's one that jumps out to me. I haven't yeah. even looked, and it's probably the obvious yeah, one. Yeah, right? it's the obvious one. There's a few other national ones that you might want to mention. This is not going to be as hard as Randy Johnson versus Dick Butkus versus Ichiro Suzuki, right? That's about as tough as it gets. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think I did the right thing calling it Dick Johnson? Yes, I do. But then I feel Playing like both. I feel like you should have given the next the 51P to Ichiro and you just refused. It was uh, I don't like Trevor Hoffman. I'm not a big Ichiro guy. Do you remember you, 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 you too young to remember Jamal Wilkes in the NBA of the Los Angeles Lakers? Lakers. They called him Silky. He had a really funky delivery. Was that like right before 52. Showtime? I mean, was that like right before yeah, Magic? Right, that's exactly yeah, yeah. right. I remember him. Uh, one of the great centers in National Football League history was Mike Webster of the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's in the Hall of Fame. Tragic end to his life. That's right. Yeah. He wore 52. Okay. The big boy, CC Sabathia, wore 52. I don't know why I can't get behind him. I don't know what it is. <laughs> well, it's he tough could, to get behind. <laughs> That's true. He could pitch for another 10 years, and I'm just not impressed. I no, don't he, know and why. And he won't be pitching for another 10 years. He'll be lucky to be pitching for another 10 weeks. Okay, all right. Well, He's at the end. Gotcha. CC Sabathia, 52. But I think it's pretty obvious who 52 is going to be. Yes. That's the first one. And I'm not a huge much. fan, I'm i got to tell either. you. I'm not either. Personally, I know people I just, love oh. him. People love him. 16 seasons in the NFL, 13 Pro Bowls, three-time Defensive Player of the Year, 
Ray Lewis, the linebacker of the Baltimore Ravens. I didn't love the dance when he came out and did the whole yeah the whole thing. I didn't mind the dance. He just seems insanely blowhardy. There's something about him. I just and there was a thing in Atlanta. Where's the white suit? Does anyone know? I I don't know the white suit. I just know that there was the thing in Atlanta. Right. right? He was like in a white suit, but that suit disappeared, and so it's like who knows? Not a huge Ray Lewis fan, but I I suppose we have to name the the episode. Yeah, at the end episode Ray. It speaks for itself. Episode Ray Ray. What happened? I'm curious. I wasn't here when it was O.J. Simpson's episode. Did you guys go with him? What is no, it? we didn't go with O.J. Simpson. I well, got to think about who we went with at 32. There was a ton. Magic Johnson's 32. Oh, yeah, I guess. Jim Brown was 30. Oh, 32 was one of the hotly contested, like, was like a 51. There were a ton of 32s. Okay. Yeah. We didn't have to go with O.J. But O.J. was talked about, certainly. Okay, but yeah. you did, I'm wondering if you held it against him. His, his uh, You know, kind of like they do with Pete Rose. He's not in the Hall of Fame, even though his play speaks for itself. So. Well, I, I don't remember... Ma- I think it went Magic. There was somebody else that's 32. It was Magic Brown, maybe? Jim Brown was, Jim was Brown, there, yeah. I think, 32. Seahawks 22, Broncos 14. We're going we're gonna to dissect this with Brady Henderson of ESPN, ESPN.com, our Mitch Unfiltered Seahawks guy in this episode 52. Did you watch? Now, I asked you, do you get excited for preseason football? And you said yes. Yeah, I do. And then I told you, isn't it one of those things where you get excited, get excited, you see them, it comes on TV, you're all excited except for the graphics on Fox 13, (laughs) and then about a quarter of the way through, you're like, oh, God, when can this, when is this going to end? Yeah, but I I did exactly what I told you I was going to do. I recorded it. I played basketball that night. Yes, I recorded it, and then I just kind of burned through it. So it makes it a little easier. You can digest it in like an hour and a half. Okay, do you want to shoot some things at me and then I'll shoot some things at you before we get to our interviews and I want everybody to listen to Ken Green and how he's dealt with uh, overcoming life's obstacles what you want to you want to start you want to go back and forth like seesaw you do one I'll Let's do, do it. one go ahead uh, you go first did the penalty seem like it was just non-stop I mean did you make it through the end of the game I did it was I was cooking and doing some other things yeah, cleaning yeah. yeah oh my god what the is that what this league's going to turn into or is it just it's preseason the refs are in preseason maybe they're not as uh, right you know, on, on top well, of their the game Well the Seahawks are a, are, a, are one of the most penalized teams in the NFL every year let's start there But the Broncos had 11 I know they did. <laughs> I, I mean 20 did. I think what Seahawks have 15 Pre- You know what they say preseason for the officials too Yeah that's what I'm there wondering were a lot of stoppages Oh I, my we god hit, but we didn't even get to the whole PI thing here there wasn't oh, a yeah. lot. There wasn't a lot of passing or the new the new challenges. We didn't have the new challenges and stoppages of play. At least in this game, I know they did around the league. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was horrible. Unbearable. All right, my turn. Yep. DK Metcalf. I've heard of him. The most, <laughs> the most um, spotlighted individual in the first preseason game, based on who was playing and who was not playing. Russell Wilson not in there. Everybody wanted to see how big fourteen looked in the uniform. If you're not out of training camp, looked pretty big. Yes. I have been skeptical. I am the last guy on the DK Metcalf bandwagon. I'm not anti-DK Metcalf, but I'm just, I, I for a guy so huge that runs so fast and is so unique in his strength and his conditioning and all the physical attributes, he had very few catches in college on a pass-oriented SEC team. He was not drafted as one of the top two, three, four, five. I mean, he's a workout kid, and, he, and he looks like this. Why Why exactly did he not have 50 catches at college in the final year, and why was he not like a first-round draft? It doesn't yeah. make sense. Why so, was he not Shannon Sharp, right? So That's I've been asking – right. I've been asking – well, I've been asking those questions. So the skeptic in me 
is a little more excited than I was a week ago right now. Really? Yeah, he had a he had a this was like a one catch 8-yard night, but that doesn't tell the story. No, it doesn't. There were two moments where he at his size ran by the corners. Mm-hmm. Now, they didn't hook up and I don't I don't I'm not going to start questioning his hands because they were hard catches, but he might not have great hands. And Russell Wilson wasn't throwing the ball. We know about his deep touch. But just seeing somebody behind corners, I got to tell you, even in the last five or ten years, as great as Doug Baldwin is, he had a way, a knack of it. A guy who could just run straight line by people, especially a big guy like that, the Seahawks haven't had. So I'm just going to say... A little crow. It's it's really early. It's really early. <laughs> it's early. I'm a little more excited for DK Metcalf today than I was before the preseason. Based on his fifth gear, getting by people. Just watching him get behind yeah. some people. And he made a good play on the one catch that he made. That guy that he beat, 25, on the Broncos. Yeah. Four-time pro bowler, two-time all-pro player. He, he beat him on that little comeback play. And then he caught the next ball. I don't know if you remember that. He caught the next ball in like a swing pass, but they, it was called back yeah, I was gonna because say, of an illegal block. I thought one of his best plays was one that got called back. Yeah. He like ran over a guy, and he's like uh, yeah, not afraid yeah, to like throw no. his body out well, there. And, well, <laughs> well he could, if, he's not, if he's afraid to throw his body out there, then there's no such thing as somebody yeah, well, who isn't there's, afraid. Anyway, yeah. so that's my first one. I like DK Metcalf. What do you got? Paxton Lynch. Oh, boy. What do we think about Paxton Lynch against his old team? Oh, boy. Running over people. Yeah. In the end zone, running over, sticking his head down. I forgot that the Broncos drafted him as like the heir apparent to Peyton Manning. Yeah, it was like the 14th guy that John Elway drafted (laughs) as the heir apparent. He keeps (laughs) drafting guys. He's got some eye, doesn't he? But Paxton Lynch looked great. Or is it preseason? Is he just another Charlie Whitehurst? I don't know. You tell me. I'll tell you this. Paxton Lynch looked great against fourth stringers who are not going to be in the NFL. Fair enough. So let's see, and what you're going to hear Brady Henderson of ESPN say, uh, with this, I told you, Geno Smith's going to play, and then we're going to have surgery. And he's having the cyst removed from his knee. He may or may not play this coming week in Minnesota. What Brady's going to say, I don't want to give it away, but I think is accurate. Let's see Paxton Lynch play against the first and second teamers instead of the third or fourth team before we decide. At the end of the day, does any of this matter? If Russell Wilson gets hurt, the season's over, <laughs> right? I mean, it's over. <laughs> Forget about it, right? Now, you might say, what if he gets hurt? For What if he has to miss a game or two? Could somebody go in there and just be competent enough to give you a chance in those two games? I guess it matters then. The backup quarterback matters then. I, I did like his fire. I did like his fire, though. Okay. Uh, you took my next one. So, oh, okay. I'll, 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 you, you raised me you, – you raised me – Paxton Lynch. I see your Paxton Lynch. Okay. And I raise you Marquise Blair. Just took one of mine. Just took one of mine. A hard hitting safety. Now, again, I'm going to give away a little bit of the uh, Brady Henderson, what I say to Brady Henderson. Everybody wants to compare. Everybody wants to compare Marquise Blair to who? Because uh, he's a well, hard hitting Cam Chancellor, but different size. Cam Chancellor is is like five is like seven three. Right. 345 pounds. We'll never live to see Cam Chancellor again. Ken Hamlin. The hammer, Ken. You want to compare Marquise Blair to somebody. Don't compare him to Cam Chancellor. Compare him to Kenny the Hammer Hamlin before Hamlin got in the fight with the stop sign in downtown Seattle (laughs) after the game. Which, by the way, that was essentially the end of his career. Uh, Marquise Blair loved it. 
I would love to see that continue. I'd love to see an enforcer back there with Bradley McDougald. I'm hoping Marquise Blair wins the safety job. He's the rookie out of Utah. Big hit. Got penalized 15 yards. I don't care. Probably shouldn't have. Maybe should have. Marquise Blair is on my list. I've gone back and watched some old Seahawks games with the Legion of Boom. And and those big hits, I know you get a penalty, but... They can. Uh, you'd be surprised how many receivers kind of alligator arm a few balls over the middle. Wow, because like you used to. Because that's at right. Pop Stadium. <laughs> but they, they know what's potentially coming, so oh, yeah. it actually helps. Oh, of course. If you've got yeah. an enforcer, when Cam Chancellor's back there, guys going over the middle. No, even if he's not in the, in the vicinity, they're they're looking around. That's for right. Thirty-one. So it can affect the game. Of even, course. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. We want Marquise Blair to come up and make those types of hits on running backs and yes, and tight ends going over the middle. Absolutely. But he didn't start, right? He was in at the end or towards the end. No, no, no. He was in there early. Was he in there early? Oh, yeah. I remember seeing him at the end, He was too. in there early. Well, he's good. He's in a three-headed race for the starting safety job with Thompson and Hill. Gotcha. Tedrick Thompson and Delano, Delano Hill. Um, right, my turn. Cody oh, yeah. Barton. Cody Barton. What do you think about that guy? Both Zach from, Thomas. Both from Utah, right? Yeah, Cody was, and, yeah. and Marquise Blair were both teammates at Utah. How was that defense? Not like the greatest defense of all time. It's they were pretty good. Players. Yeah, I guess so. they were pretty good. Cody Barton was pretty good. I don't think he was as good as Austin Calitro. Oh, number 50, 58. 58. Okay. Yeah, he was gotcha. pretty good. Yeah, he was good too. But Cody Barton. I like it. Do you remember Zach Thomas? I do for the Dolphins. Right? Yeah. yeah. One of my all time faves. Fifth round draft choice should be in the one of the biggest crimes. Even Kevin Mawai mentioned it in his Hall of Fame speech. The fact that Zach Thomas Did he really? is not in the Hall of Fame. Go back and look at Zach Thomas's numbers, tackling numbers. They are ridiculous. He was an undersized fifth-round draft choice out of Texas Tech. And when I watched Cody Barton, at least on a couple plays, I don't want him. I don't want to label him a Hall of Famer or a near Hall of Famer. Yeah. But you get the point. I was equally as excited to see Cody Barton. Having said that, Calitro and Barton were good. We hope they'll never see the field. Except on special teams. Yeah. Because the linebacking crew is set, right? With Hendricks, KJ Wright, and Bobby, and Bobby Wagner. Wagner. Yeah. So, a little uh, depth can't hurt, though. I'm glad. But they're good on, they should be good on special teams. True. All right. Is it my turn? Uh, yes. Jazz Ferguson. Great name. Like 6'6". Six, six. You think another, I mean, he's not as huge as Metcalf. He's a little, but he was overweight when he first came to the Seahawks after being, I guess, undrafted. And he got on the shit list of Pete Carroll. Who said, "God, he he comes in here and he's on, he's lost that weight. He's now right. he caught two touchdown passes in the Pop Keeney scrimmage, and now he's caught a touchdown pass in the preseason, trying to make the football team." Jazz Ferguson, and that's my that's my list. By the way, what about Keenan Reynolds? He looked all right. The receiver, yeah, he's pretty good too. Yeah. He's, he's in that competition with Jazz Ferguson. And how about John Ursua late in the game that's over right. the middle, yeah. wearing number fifteen, little guy over the middle for twenty three yards. So, yeah, all right. Not bad. Feeling all right. I mean, you you were kind of down on the receivers going into it. You thought the receivers would be a weakness right behind the defense. I'm, right? I'm, I'm right behind cons- the team. Yeah. I'm <laughs> I'm <laughs> concerned about the defense. Uh, um, I'm not going to change one way or the other based on one preseason games, especially the first preseason game. I'm concerned about the defense. I'm concerned about the pass rush. I am concerned about the wide receivers because when you listen to people talk about wide receivers when they when they say good things about the Seahawks wide receivers they say good things about guys that have never done anything that's a problem now yeah. that might work out to the advantage but the percentages say that if if you're raving about the Seahawks group of receivers let's put Tyler Lockett off on the side for a second okay if you're going to rave about the Seahawks receivers and tell me about how excited you are for Jerron Brown Right. And David, I, I, again, I'm not saying any of these guys are bad, 
But people that like the receiving core saying, oh, Jerron Brown's really coming alive right. in camp and, and David and David Moore and Jazz Ferguson and even DK Mega. You're talking about a number of guys that have done absolutely nothing in the National Football yeah. League. That scares me about a wide receiving core. Pete Carroll loves to throw that out there. Oh, he's looking like one of the best players. And I'm thinking to myself, wouldn't he got drafted a little higher or wouldn't somebody else have wanted him if he was really that good? <laughs> he loves that routine, right? Yes. It loves like it feels like the Seahawks love undrafted undrafted free agents, which in a way I think is kind of cool cuz Well, you know the whole John Schneider thing. He picks a he he has a first round pick. He trades it down to later in the first round. Then he trades down again to the second. Yeah. And then he picks a guy in the second and he comes out and he says, we would have taken him number one overall. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love that. We would have, he was number one on our board. <laughs> right. We don't know how, how did he, how did he get down into the second round? That's right. If we were the number one. Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm being a little sarcastic, but they, I think they all do that. But I think there is something to be said for guys like Jazz Ferguson, undrafted out of LSU, you know, fighting for their lives. I, yeah. I think you can get more out of somebody as opposed to a, a guy who came in with a five-year well, deal. Well, if, if you're going to be – if I'm going to take shots at John Schneider, we should we should point out the obvious, which is they created a legacy. He and Carroll created a legacy here early on by finding diamonds in the rough. That's right. No team – no team – and I'll tell you a quick story about that – no team had late-round draft choices and undrafted free agents join the team, make the team, and be contributors to the team for about a five- or seven-year stretch yeah. like the Seattle Seahawks. So you give Schneider and Carroll all the credit. And what that did, which is kind of interesting, I don't know if you know how it works after the draft. All these guys that don't get drafted, they can choose anywhere they want to go to oh, sign. Oh, right. So, so there's, there's, inevitably, there's 10 guys after Jazz Ferguson. But because John Schneider can say to Jazz Ferguson's agent, look. Come here. I mean, why not? Look at my track record. Right. You come here. I, I know we're good, but you look, we keep under, he's got a great chance. Like other, yeah. uh, uh, and then if, let's say they're going up against the Steelers, and I don't know, I'm just using Steelers. He might say, the Steelers never keep undrafted free agents. You got to, your client has yeah. a much better, here's, uh, let me send you the list of all the guys that we've let, that we've kept on the ball club. So it actually breeds more That's and right. more interest in coming to the Seattle Seahawks. And you got to give Pete Carroll credit for that, really. I mean, I know that Russell Wilson wasn't undrafted, but remember they brought in Matt Flynn for the money. Yeah. And he, he said, I'm having, no, no, we're going to have a competition here. Yeah. And we all sort of like rolled our eyes. No, no, yeah. Matt, Matt Flynn is starting, believe me. And he was a man of his word, and he started the best quarterback. It's just so hard to give Pete Carroll too much credit <laughs> when he's chewing the gum. <laughs> yeah, the gum annoys you? God. It's funny. I was fast-forwarding it, and to watch him to watch him chew it in fast motion is pretty impressive because he's chewing it fast already. Yeah, I can see how that'd it be so annoying. It takes a beating, that yeah. gum. <laughs> how much does he go through, I wonder? I don't know if he stays with the same piece, no the stale way. same piece. No, nah, he can't. I mean, could you imagine the conversation of the, of the pieces of gum in the wrapper when, uh-oh, Pete? You, he's taking a hit, Pete. I mean, it's it's got to be it's got to be frantic. Yeah, yeah. I could see that annoying the fans of other teams too. By the way, I could see where they would just absolutely well, annoy fans of our team. Right. So imagine if you're a Niner fan. All right, three uh, three terrific uh, interviews. You've got obviously the Brady Henderson of ESPN will break down in depth everything that happened in the Seahawks preseason game. You're going to want to hear that. And who's going to play against Minneapolis or in, against Minnesota? We've got Jason Lockenfor's return to the show. People love Lockenfor, sure. and his dog Coop Copper is on the is on the show copper had plenty to say about the nfc east when we got to the nfc east <laughs> copper chimed in was not happy with jason's remarks can't about, wait to hear given the philadelphia eagles already the <laughs> nfc east copper 
That's when Copper piped up. Copper's a Cowboys fan. He just doesn't like him giving the Eagles <laughs> okay. the division already. But the first interview I want everybody to listen to, Ken Green, you talk about if you think that you've been through a lot, and I know there are a lot of listeners in our audience, we all think we've been through a lot. Just listen to this man's story. You'll laugh. You'll be sad. It's dark. It's happy. It's hysterical. It's just just listen to this guy's story. And it sounds like he's still fighting. He's not just laying in he's bed trying, in the fetal position listen, like I would be. Listen to, <laughs> listen to his attitude. Okay? Great. Hot shot, three more Hawks preseason games, and then it's for real. Are you ever looking for a fun place to join like-minded 12s to root for your hometown team? How about joining me this season as I make the rounds to different Zeke's pizza locations to watch the Hawks? We had little viewing parties at Zeke's last year for the Super Bowl, Huskies Hoops tournament games. Zeke's is the Northwest homegrown pizza company, Queen Anne, 1993. And most Zeke's locations now deliver beer, wine, and even cider. No one does Northwest craft beer quite like Zeke's, and that includes delivery. Download and use their mobile app. Order online, Zeke'sPizza.com. Call 206-285-8646. It's not a third party. This is Zeke's that brings the order straight to your door you can mix and match order six different beers whatever you want remember the one who orders has to be 21 years old and receive it at the door the phone number is 206-285-8646 zekespizza.com or download and use the mobile app zeke's pizza homegrown in the northwest unfiltered Hotline will be likely unfamiliar to most of you, but some, like me, will remember the undeniably likable Kenny Green. I hope I can still call you Kenny. You're not you're not Ken. You're still Kenny Green, right, Ken? Yeah, you can call me whatever you want. I'm good with it. <laughs> A five-time PGA Tour winner. For my money, he should have won probably double the amount. Uh, a Ryder Cup player, uh, an international star, also the author of a book called Hunter of Hope, which we're going to talk about, who, uh, Ken, I would say in your prime, you were funny and miserable. You were unfiltered and sad. You were refreshing and depressed. Are those adjectives all fair? Is there anything that I'm missing for, from the early, the early 1980s, the mid-1980s, Ken Green? Charming, good-looking. <laughs> Green shoes, green glove. Yeah, green shoes, green glove. <laughs> no, I mean that's that. You know that that's certainly a part of me. I mean I was, uh, you know I don't want, I hate the the phrase you know a man ahead of his time you know but you know I I I believed in answering questions with the truth and not playing the PR game and and, and you know to me it's like well if you ask a question don't you want to hear my answer or do you want to hear the answer you want to hear. Yeah. And if that's the case, then ask yourself the damn question. Right. So, how, how do you think that worked for you then and now trying to get back into it? And there's a there's a lifetime of stories for our listeners that we're going to get to. But I know you're you're running kind of into the establishment now. You always did, but your game kind of got you out of that. How do you feel like that's still impacting you today, those those answers that you gave? Well, amazingly enough, in, in some arenas, it, it still seems to be hurting you. You know, I mean, uh, 
you know, Golf Channel had me all set up to do some interviews, and they just pulled the trigger at the last minute with no reason. And, and it's like, all right, what what did I do now? I mean, that's <laughs> just like, but it's, you know, that's that's the world we live in. And, and I, I refuse to fall into that world. I'm going to stay in in the world that I believe is, is better. And that's nothing but, you know, being honest and open. Your life is a story filled with excitement, success, as I said, international prominence, bad luck, poor choices, unfair tragedies beyond anyone's imagination, and now kind of an amazing will to live and overcome. Help us remember Ken Green getting into golf, getting into the PGA Tour. Tell everybody the story of how you were able to, in some ways, finance through a little gambling, a little gambling, what, on the NBA to get yourself on the PGA Tour. After I was on tour for three years, and, you know, I was, I was you know, obviously my first three years, and, you know, and back then, you know, when it was the equipment and it was harder to play golf, you, you had to kind of evolve time after time, year after year. Um, you know, versus today where you can be so much better younger. Mm-hmm. And I'd lost my sponsors. So I had, I had retained my card, but I had no money to go out and play. And so all winter I kept looking for people and looking for people and couldn't find any. And then I'm like, you know, January's here and the tour's opening up. And so I had no choice but to, you know, start uh, putting some uh, – what little cash I had on some NBA basketball games, of which I know absolutely nothing about. <laughs> yeah. And I managed to pick off 23 out of 24 games. Oh, my God. How? That got me started. <laughs> I, it's just pure. You could call it a little help from the other side or pure luck. Cause, I mean, how does that happen? How much money did you, I mean, did you raise? I ended up with about a little over 15000 Yeah. And that was you know, good. I mean, and that I, was I literally good started out betting a hundred dollars and yeah. just kept, you know, I just had to keep raising it and raising it and raising it, and it's, uh, you know, that got me through the year, and, and then I won my first tournament in the summer. And that first tournament was where that championship? That was in Flint, Michigan, just uh, the Buick Open, just yeah. a tad north of uh, Detroit. Warwick Hills, right? Yes, Warwick Hills, correct. Money games and practice rounds. You were legendary for that. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, there's one thing that seems to be synonymous with golfers. And and gambling and golf seem to mix. And why it is, I don't know, but I'm not one of these guys that can just go out and play 18 holes for nothing. It's like, don't we got to have something on it? So, you know, there was a group of us, you know, the, the Calcs of the world, Payne Stewart, you know, couple Zinger, Blaine McAllister, you know, and, and – we would go out and, you know, we're $100 autos. You know, we'd have air presses. So was, and, you know, before the ball landed, the guy had to decide whether he was going to accept it or not. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's a really fun game if anybody's interested in it. As soon as you hit your tee shot, if I don't think it's going to end up in a good place, might not be the end of the world, but maybe not great, I say press. So you have the option of either taking it uh-huh. or you don't. And if you don't take it, then you lose. You know, unless the ball's going in the water, you pretty much have to take it, and then you just got to hope you you work your way around the the uh, the hole. What was the but it, What uh, was the biggest game you remember? You ever remember one standing out, one big game for some standing there's two, out? Two games that I remember the most: Kapalua, and this is Hawaii. You know where they play the Tournament of Champions now. So we got up 
at, at 6.30 and we go out and play a, a quick 27 holes and we're done by 9.30. And it was Calc and I against Bean and Crenshaw and Bean and Mike Hulbert. And Bean just made everything. No good son of a bitch. <laughs> I mean, it was ridiculous what he made. And uh, three hours later, I had to write him a check for $3,000. Oh, boy. And it was... Uh, it hurt. I didn't like it. Okay. But but I did get him back on on the tennis court because we started talking <laughs> about tennis, and he of course thought he was a good tennis player. Come on, Bean couldn't. And, Andy Bean couldn't move yeah. on the tennis. All he had to yeah. do was move from side to side. Well, right? <laughs> I, I don't know if you were paying attention to, to uh, Wimbledon. Where uh, I was. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to butcher this guy's name. The Australian who played Nadal, Krygos or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah, yes, I know who and you're talking about. Yeah. He hit him right in the chest, and you know they were giving him a hard time for that. Well. That's what we play in tennis. We call them skins. You know, we're, we're trying to hit the other guy. It's an automatic win. And I got Bean right in the pelotas. Oh, boy. And it, it, was, it was comical watching him grasp and then fall. So I, I at least got some of my money back. And then... Um, what was, the other, what uh, was um, the other bet that you remembered? You said Another bet that... Yeah. Uh, it was Calc and I against... Uh, McAllister and Azinger at uh, Tournament Players Club in Jacksonville. Calc and I played the last seven holes nine under par. <laughs> and we lost $2,500. No, you did not. Blaine McAllister holed out his second shot for the whole, the whole enchilada because, you know, we were playing the one-down autos and, the, you know, the presses, and boom, $2,500. Did McAllister putt right-handed or left-handed, Kenny? At that at that point, he was going left-handed. Oh boy, incredible stories from the great Ken Green. We're going to get to the the not so happy stories in a few moments. How many times were you fined by the PGA Tour, Ken? Uh, I've had thirty fines. Thirty fines for what? What they fine you for? You know, some of them are justified. I, I'm not going to sit here and, and and lie. And there's some of them I absolutely deserved. Some were the the, the craziest fine ever. Mm-hmm. All right. 92 PGA, we're at Bell Reeve in St. Louis. Again, it's it's myself, Calc, Payne Stewart, and Couples, and we're waiting on a hole. Now the three of them are up on a tee, you know, and it's pretty crowded, and everybody's you know hanging around. So I walk down the edge of the tee and start signing autographs, and all of a sudden someone says, "Hey, what do you think of the course?" And I, you know, I just kind of look at him and go, "You a member?" And he goes, "No," and I said, "The course sucks." <laughs> And, you know, everybody laughed, but an, an official heard me. Uh-huh. So he reports it. So I get fined because I got fined for breathing. You know, and this was a Tuesday. How do you get fined on a Tuesday? And I'm the one signing autographs. But I was involved in uh, the Ping lawsuit. Yep. And yep. Uh, Dean Beeman and Tim Fincham, they, they nailed me every time they could. Wow. How, many, they, they just, how much were these fines? Uh, they would range anywhere from uh, five hundred to five thousand. Wow. They would never, they would never find you more than five thousand because if they find you more than five, you can take it to the next level. So, if in other words, if it's in between the five hundred to the five, I can appeal it, but you're appealing to them. Right. So basically, you're not appealing it. Yeah. So you know, they, you know, they know what they're doing. They never, they never whack you more because they don't want you to go to, to you know the next level, which would be 
the, the board. This is the voice of Ken Green, who won five times on the PGA Tour. I said in the opening that you probably should have won 10 or 12 times. I remember you competing on a couple of times, a couple of chances to win the Masters, right? Mm-hmm. Including 1989, where you were in contention and you had a little falling out with the chairman of Augusta National at that time. Yeah, that was uh, Horde Harden. Was, uh, he was the one that fouled uh, Clifford Robertson. They were from what we call the old school, you know, the hard sure. nose and, and all that. So what happens is they give you family passes. So I had eight family passes, and they let you buy eight because we had a whole group coming, obviously 16. And for whatever reason, my wife and I had some sort of fight, and she was supposed to bring up the eight family passes that they mailed to you. And she just decided that she wasn't going to send them at all. And, you know, and we kept trying to get her and her family was coming and they couldn't get her to, to do it. Right. So finally I said, you know, I'm going to go talk to Horde. Is, I mean, he's married. He understands that we married men and women have fights and, you know, they can act like idiots, whether it's the man or the woman. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I'm like, he'll understand. I'm going to just tell him the absolute truth. So I go in there and I rip out the whole story and, and all that. And then. The next words out of out of his mouth were, "No, get better control of your wife." Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Okay." So then we ended up having to sneak everybody in, and that's another story in itself. Tell him how you did. I know how you did. Tell him how you snuck everybody yeah, in. It, it. Uh, well, what what I decided to do was I, you know, I I bring people in through the car, and then we go back out. The first day was an absolute success, and then. One of one of our guys gets caught. Now, what we did was the eight youngest didn't have a badge because I figured they were going to be the the uh, fleet of foot, so to speak. Well, one of them gets caught, and it happens to be her brother. Oh. Well, he panics under the pressure, <laughs> and he rats me out. Instead of just saying no. I snuck on, no. he rats me out. Oh. So now the next day, they start they stop my car and, and start looking at everybody's passes and badges and stuff. So now. When I went back out to get the other guys, we had to we had to improvise. So you know we put some people on the floor and put blankets over them. And we had other people with the golf clubs in the back of the in the trunk, <laughs> and uh, and we just kind of snuck through. They even stopped Calc's car because they, they they knew we were buddies and they thought he might be sneaking. How do you in. Win, how do you win a freaking Masters with all this other stuff going on, Ken? Uh, you know you know I, I, I've never been one of those that. You know, once you get, like, inside the ropes, that's where you are. Yeah. And really, you kind of just forget about that other stuff. I, I can't, I mean, I'd love to be able to use an excuse. You know, I, I know, you know, as my depression came in and the divorce and all that, it did become an issue. But uh, prior to that, you know, I I was ready to play. You know, once 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 you get to that first tee, you, yeah. you know, you, you, you got one thought on your head. And ultra-talented you were, Ken Green. While you were prospering and playing well, you weren't happy on the inside, right? It's 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 now well chronicled that you were trying to you were trying to black out, you were trying to to box out, for lack of a better term, uh, things that had happened in your youth, including a really difficult time when you were eleven and your mom moved your family away. Right. Uh, my my father was a really bad alcoholic, and it was at the point of of divorce or try to do something. So she thought that. Uh, that we would move to Honduras, which, of course, at 11 years old, I didn't even know was a country, much less where it was. And 
thinking that, well, if we go to a foreign country, there won't be as many people, maybe less drinkers, maybe my father can get his, you know, get his act together. And just like anything else in life, if you're a drinker, you'll find drinkers. And if you do drugs, you'll find people that do drugs. Or if you like golf, you'll find golfers. So it didn't really work out well in that respect. Uh, a really good friend of the family moved on with us, who uh, later would be the one that started the sexual abuse. And, and then it multiplied into some other people, and, and then it got into sexual and physical, and then, you know, got into nasty stuff. And, uh, and then one night it just, it all, I, it erupted, and, and uh, I, I did something that I'm not necessarily proud of, but I'm not ashamed of. Uh, and then I was put on a plane immediately when I had to t wake up my father from his drunken stupor. Uh, and, but, you know, I, I can honestly say that but at least I thought I did. Now, since I've opened this door up again, I'm understanding where I didn't get a handle on it. Uh, I, I thought I had blocked it well, you know, and just kept blocking it. But what I didn't realize is even though I may have blocked what happened, I didn't take into account what it was doing to me in terms of, you know, the mental yeah. uh, aspect of how you think in life and how, how you are with other relationships and, and you know, the, the things that are, you know, important in life that you need. And, uh, you know, that's where I, that's where really I got destroyed. You know, I went down there as a young little boy and, you know, I, I turned, I came back as a, a basically a, a recluse, introvert yeah. that wanted nothing to do with people. That's why I ended up playing golf is because golf was golf saved me. You know, it, I honestly believe that if, if I didn't go to golf, I probably would have ended up being a teenager with, you know, drug problems and, you know, maybe even some criminal issues or, you know, I would have, I would have acted out over what happened in, in, in Honduras because uh, one of the reasons when I decided to, to write the book, um, I made sure I went, I, I wanted to explain to people that, that it isn't just touchy feel. I think sometimes people don't, because it's such a grotesque topic, nobody really wants to talk about it. And, and, you know, and, or they think, well, it's just a little this or a little that. So, you know, I actually go in into the, the games is what they would call them. Uh, and so people can get an understanding of, of that this isn't all how it is. And you're, I mean, like I said, Ken, Ken Green that I was supposed to be is gone. I'm, I am who I am now, you know, for good or bad because it, of them. It was taken from you. Right. And it, um, I, you know, I just think that Again, some of the states, some of the laws, you know, everybody's into rehab and, you know, let's give them another chance, give them another chance. Well, we who have been abused are, we're done for the, whole, for the rest of our lives. We have to cope and we do what best we can. Some, some get through it. Some don't. Some go on to become abusers themselves. That's how messed up you get. Uh -huh. I mean, the idea that, that you're abused and then you end up doing it, knowing you shouldn't do it. But that's how, how hard it is to get around this sometimes. And you thought, the voice is Ken Green, you thought 
the best way so many of us think the same thing. And I've talked to you a little bit off the air about my darkness. And so many of us believe that when we're in that place, the best thing we can do is to try to ignore it and block it out when maybe talking about it, finding somebody to talk to. If you had to do it oh. all over again, Ken, you might have searched somebody out when you came back to try to help you put your arms around what had happened to you. Yes? Oh, absolutely. I, I you know, I, I'll, I'll never forget the words my father said to me when he put me on the, on the plane. And he goes, kid, because he called me kid. Kid, I'm sorry. You did nothing wrong. And don't ever tell a living soul. You know, so, you know. I was like, all right, and and it's the worst thing I I, I should have could have ever done. You have to you have to get this out. I don't care who you talk to, uh, but you've got to talk to somebody, and and it's uh, because you have no idea the impact it's going to have on you, in terms of relations, in terms of relationships, in terms of of you know the workforce and being getting you know with people and and it's uh. But, you know, when you're, you know, at this point I'm 13, uh, I don't know anything about that. You don't think like that. You're just kind of doing as I'm told, you know. I mean, and, you know, I knew it was, it was you know, awful stuff. And uh, I, I don't, I mean, it never even crossed my mind. I, I yeah. you know, I just said, okay. Yeah. Um, and I... I literally didn't. I I never told the soul until about five years ago. The name of the book is called Hunter of Hope. Now move forward. I wish I I wish I could say that it stopped there for Ken Green, but the unfortunate twists and turns of life just kept on rearing their ugly heads with our guest. 1990s rough decade. Injuries hurt your golf game. I know you went through a very public and difficult divorce and custody battles, and I'm sure you're going to tell us that everything that was happening that you were holding back and that you were you were blocking out um, you know played a small part in some bad decisions and just a, a really horrible time uh, in the 90s talk about that relationship with your wife and the divorce and what might you do over again if you had a if you had a redo right well I mean you know my biggest mistake was I I had enough signs that that we were not going to work. She, she had some other side, so to speak, and we, we weren't going to work no matter the, and this, this is where Honduras killed me because I didn't have anything to do with relationships or girls in high school or anything. And so she came along and, you know, wow, wow. you know, brand love and in love and all that. Uh, but I had signs, you know, that, that we, it just wasn't going to work. And then, you know, we go through five years of, of marriage and finally has to end. And, uh, you know, she started turning the kids on me. Uh, she and I had uh, one son biologically. His name was Hunter, hence Hunter of Hope. Uh, and I helped raise her two uh, kids from another marriage. And then she, she wouldn't allow me to see Brad or Brooke, so I lost them immediately. And... She turned hunter, and for the next seven years, we were in court fighting over visitation and denials and denials and denials. Yeah, and let's go back, um, let's go back to something that you said earlier, which was, I was able, this is you talking, I'm paraphrasing, I was able, when I was between the ropes, I could block everything else out and play golf. Well, at some point, 
right? That stuff had no, to this, this, this was too this much. I couldn't block out. This was too much, right, Ken? Right. Well, I mean, you know, because, uh, you know, I, I went through the money that, that I had accumulated, you know, in the divorce. She gets half, I get half, and, you know, then five years later, you're not making any money. So, you know, I'm basically broke, and she has arrest warrants on me as soon as I miss anything. Uh, so I, I, I would panic all the time. If you look at my record each year, it gets worse from about 92 down. Yeah. And it's all based on, on fighting in the court. And it, uh, it leads to, you know, me falling into a, a massive depression and, and, uh, and not understanding that I was in a depression. You know, that's the hardest thing about people that are depressed. Yeah. It doesn't even dawn on you that you're depressed, you know. You could just be your, you know, fighting through life. You know, life can be hard. You'll get through it. You'll get through it. And you don't realize that you're no longer making sound decisions that you might normally make. It doesn't mean your problems are going to go away, but how you react to them. So now I'm a depressed soul who has now lost Hunter because I, I had to basically let him go because he was, he was just getting too screwed up. And... You know, and then eventually, you know, you know, I, I go for the suicide. And I honestly thought that, you know, everyone would be better off without me. When was this, Ken? And uh, suicide was in 99. And it's, uh, and this is, this is a story, well, it's obviously all in the book, but this is a story that if, if people don't believe in, in, you know, the big guy or the other side, if this doesn't help you, I, I'd be stunned. Um, I had taken, you know, cause I had, as you said, I had some shoulder and back problems. So I just had a whole bottle of pain pills, sleeping pills, you know, brand new and just chugged them all. So, you know, I'm in the bed lying down and ready to go. Well, now the, the rest of the story is, is what I was told by Sue, who, who was my girlfriend at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was sleeping on the couch because I was being an idiot. And she said the dog, our Coco, our lab kept hitting her with her face just kept nosing her nose and trying to wake her up and she would just keep pushing the dog away and she did this numerous times and she just kept pushing him well the dog finally decides to put his mouth around her arm up by her shoulder and literally dragged her off the couch so sue jumps up going after the dog wondering what the hell's the matter with this dog why would she do that and she she runs in after uh, the dog into the bedroom now, the dog jumped on me, and as soon as she came in and saw the dog was on me, she knew something was wrong. And, you know, she, she immediately, you know, got me, you know, 911, and I woke up 48 hours later. That's how many pills I still had in me. And, it, and I, we would not be having this conversation if it wasn't for that dog. Wow. And you can't tell me somebody didn't get to that dog. Yeah. Ken, before we get to the next piece of heartbreaking news in your life. Ken Green is our guest. Let's add let's add a little bit of comic relief. Did you have an encounter with an alligator in your backyard? Uh I, I had a friendly encounter with him, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh I had just gotten back uh from playing golf and my German shepherd Nip. Yeah. Uh loves playing with the ball. So we're out in the backyard and I'm I'm throwing the racquetball to her and so she's out about 30 yards, and I throw up a high fastball, and she jumps up in the air to get it, catches the canine tooth, and goes flying over the fence into the canal. So I'm like, ah, oh, Christ. So 
So I'm thinking, all right, she's due for a bath. You know, the canal's dirty. That's all I'm worried about is it's dirty water. Right. So I'm like, all right, she's, I'm, I'll give her a bath. So, you know, I snap my fingers. So she runs back to me, runs, jumps over the fence, and then keeps running and then makes this big splash in the water. One second later, there's another splash. And I'm like, now I'm about 40 yards from the edge, and I hear this splash. That's how loud the splash was. And I'm like, oh, please, don't tell me that's what I think it is. So obviously I go running out, and I get to the edge of the, of the canal, and Nip is swimming back at me with a ball in her mouth, happy as a lark. And you can see this gator is angling her, and it's going to cut her off. And I, I literally thought about seeing if I could run and, and jump on the gator because it was some, you know, somewhat close to the, to the edge that I wasn't sure if I could reach or I couldn't reach her. You know, I'm just trying to come up with something fast. Um, I didn't do that. I, I can't tell you why. And I guess I was hoping she'd miss or something. I don't know. Well, the gator gets there, and they meet, and boom, the gator gets the dog. So now I jump in. Now I'm neck high in the water. Now I'm expecting movement. You know, you know, you watch the, the shows, and the gator's always moving, and, you know, the, the prey's always moving to try to get it loose, and, and there's nothing. And I'm, I'm literally cussing myself out. Uh, about a minute goes by, and all of a sudden, about 15, 20 feet from me, the gator's tail pops up, up and the back pops up. Uh, still, the mouth is down in the water because she's, she's got a hold of Nip and drowning her. So I, I waddle my way over there because I'm still neck high, and I get literally within a, a inches of the gator, and I'm trying to figure out what to do because this thing is, whoa, this thing is big. You know, I, I couldn't get my stomach, uh, my hands around his stomach because it was too big. What I remember the most is how big his back right paw was, claw, whatever you want to call those things. And I'm like, all right, I, there's only one thing I can do. I, I grabbed around his tail and punched his stomach underneath oh at the same God. time. Oh now, all I, all I remember now is... I see this gator's mouth open up and it's coming towards me. Now I know it's not going to get me because it doesn't have that agility, but it's coming. And he, you know, he comes flying and hits the water and now the gator does the roll. So we go rolling around. I don't know if I held on for two times or 10. It was, it was quite a bit based on all the, the cuts and the, the, the bruised ribs I had. Uh, I somehow get my bearing, you know, cause now I, you know, I'm wondering what the hell's going on. And I, I pop up out of the water and I look around, and here the gator's looking at me, trying to figure out what the hell I am, because he's probably never encountered something like this. And he's about 15 feet just looking at me, not moving. And, I, and Nip's trying to get to the edge of the water, so I swim over to Nip, and we go out. Uh, she ends up with about 25 stitches, almost died from all the water. And uh, four days later, she's ready to play ball and people people are calling me you know congratulating me or calling me an idiot or or what am i thinking and and how's the dog doing how's nip doing is nip doing good is nip okay nobody asked how i was i couldn't play golf for seven weeks with all my ribs <laughs> but it was uh we, we were everything went our way yeah. it, it just i you know i tell people if the gator had just slid in by the time I wondered where Nip was, she'd have been gone. If the gator didn't get Nip literally right at the, at the front two paws and the back two paws, literally got the whole chest. If, if the gator just got like the 
any part of the feet, she would have ripped them open. And then the third, if the gator came back at me, I, I would have been dead because I would have never been able to fight this guy off. I mean, everything, again, whether you want to believe in the big guy or somebody helping you, uh, you know, it was, uh, it, it, we weren't, we, 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 you know, we weren't meant to go that day. And unfortunately, Nip, uh, Nip, Nip died in the RV accident. Which is where I'm going next, and I just ask you with uh, as much respect as possible, very delicately, if you wouldn't mind, talking about that June, as if enough hadn't happened in your life to you. Uh, June 2009, Ken. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I just turned 50, and I was starting to play the senior tour, and things were really turning around. I was starting to to relax and starting to make money again, and um you know, I was really looking forward to, uh, you know, what was going to, you know, the next 10 years, basically. We, uh, my wife and my brother and, and Nip, uh, were traveling in a uh, RV. We were coming back from uh, Austin, you, Texas. Wife or girlfriend? Uh, well, depends on who you ask. We, we technically, we got married in the islands, but it, it's not legal in the United States. Gotcha. Okay. So, you know, I don't know, okay. you know. Okay. I don't know what you call it, but you know we called it husband wife. We were okay with it. Okay. And uh, so we're traveling back from Austin to to Greensboro, North Carolina, where you know we we had a home. And uh, the the front right tire blows, and now I was sleeping in the back bed, and I remember hearing a bang, and that's all I really remember is this bang, and the RV goes carooming off the off the road and down this embankment. And we just crashed into this massive tree. Uh, they were killed instantly. Uh, I evidently got out of the bed and, and ran forward or something because I was thrown out of uh, the window. Part of me went out the left side of the window, and my leg went out the right side of the leg of the window. Hence, all the damage where we ended up having to cut the leg off. You lost your brother. And- you lost your girlfriend or your wife. You lost your dog Nip. Uh, but somehow you survived this horrible accident, and I, I don't even know how to ask you how you got up each day and tried to fight for your life, and the news that you'd have to lo- lose your leg. And I mean, you're a golfer for goodness sakes; you need your leg to play golf at, at least at the highest level. Right. You would think at the highest level. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, how do you how do you get on how do you get on with your life? How do you how do you process all that and and get up and go forward? Yeah, it's you know what I what I would remember telling myself is, uh, you know, obviously it's been a a, a rough go. There's you know I, I I'd be lying to you if I didn't you know didn't say it's been man you know this like time after time after time. But you know you have to ask yourself. What and again this whether you believe in God or whether you don't believe in God, you know you have to decide. Are you going to let all these tragedies and losses, you know, ruin you, or are you going to fight with life? Life is precious. You got to do everything you can to, to win the battle of life, whatever your battle is, you know, whatever you want in life, you've got to fight for it. And, you know, that was my theory. And, and did you, you know, ever, did you ever I, question whether you wanted to fight anymore? No, no, never even crossed my mind. And it, it just, again, I can't tell you why. I just, I, I'm not giving up. It's just, you know, it's not in my DNA. And, you know, it, it's almost, it's like a challenge. You know, that's how I gave it to myself. 
are you going to be strong enough? Are you going to be firm enough to fight through this? You know, okay, yeah, this has happened, and that's happened, and this has happened, and that's happened. What are you going to decide? What are you going to do? And, you know, my feeling was, all right, I'm going to lose this leg. You know, that's it. We're cutting the leg off, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to keep going and keep fighting on, and I'm going to try to do something good with this. And, and if, I, if I help one person, then it's a, it's a home run. If I end up helping ten, you know, then it's multiple home runs. And if I end up helping more, then, you know, God bless me. That's the way I look at but it. How, and it, and, it uh, and and that's what I keep trying to do. But how about as you're doing that, the emotional loss, the sadness in your heart of in an accident, a blown tire of an RV, losing your, your partner and losing your brother? Well, I mean, it, it, it's hard. I mean, you know, I'm not going to sit there and tell people, I, you know, you don't cry. And, you know, because you do, you have those moments. I have moments to now, and it's been 10 years. You know, you, it, it, the strange thing about, and probably anybody who's lost somebody will tell you this, anything can trigger something where, you know, all of a sudden you start thinking about Jeannie or you think about, you know, your brother, or you think about Billy or you think about, you know, Hunter, because we haven't even talked about that one yet. And, and you just start crying and it's like, okay, it's okay to cry, you know, let it out, cry. And then, you know, get back off the floor. Were you able to repair at all as he got older, your relationship with Hunter before the horrific news of January, 2010? Yes. Yeah, it was, uh, it was actually really good. Um, uh, the, the, the period of absence that I was referring to earlier lasted about four years. And then, um, you know, I mean, I would still talk to him here and there, but, and then finally he wanted to, to start seeing me and at the, he was actually living with me a lot and our relationship was very good at the time of, uh, you know, what, what happened next. And, and, uh, about six months after the accident, um, I get this, I get a message on my phone from my, my pain doctor, uh, who, ironically lives next door to Ellen and Hunter babysat his kids. And on the message, he just said, Hey, sorry to hear about Hunter, but I want you to know everything will be all right. You know, hang in there. And so I'm trying to, I'm thinking, what's he talking about? I just talked to Hunter last night, you know? Uh, and so I, I, I couldn't figure it out. So uh, I called him back and I left a message saying, Doc, listen, I'm trying to get a hold of Ellen. She won't answer my phone calls. She won't talk to me. And, and clearly something happened to Hunter, and I want to find out what happened. And uh, so he didn't have the heart to tell me because he just, by then he realized that nobody had told me that Hunter had died. And because uh, Ellen had, had made the decision that she wasn't going to tell me and that she was just going to take care of it on her own or whatever reason you'd have to ask her, but just vindictiveness, I guess. I don't know, but, um, you know, so I actually call my friend slash lawyer thinking that he'd been in an accident, you know, cause you know, he told me everything would be all right. So, you know, I'm like, Hey, how do I contact hospitals to see if, you know, if Hunter's in there, I think something's happened. And, and, uh, it was him who told me, uh, that Hunter was dead because my pain doctor called him because he knew we were best friends and told, you know, he told Kevin, my friend that 
he didn't have the heart to tell me. He wasn't going to be the one to tell me. My son died. Uh, and that's when I found out that, uh, you know, Hunter had passed from uh, alcohol, you know, pills, mixture, OD, whatever you call it. And it, uh, that one hurt because, you know, everyone knows you don't expect, you know, to lose a, you know, a 21 year old, you know, your, your, you know, your kids. And, you know, I was, I remember thinking, you know, all right. And, you know, again, I never, I never sat there and asked why, you know, what, what I did say was really, you know, like really, you know, I mean, you know, Billy and Jeannie, we were in our fifties, you know, okay, I lose the leg. I'm in my fifties, but 21, you know, your son, you know, it, that one, that one was a tough one, but you know, then you got to do that. You, it's the same thing. You've got to decide: Are you going to let life win? And I'm, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm a firm believer that you got to fight for your, for life. You know, and and you know, you just got to keep going, no matter how hard it is. And clearly, you know, we've we've kind of fast tracked to a lot of that. What's happened in my life, and it's been, it's been insane. It really has. But. Uh, I refused, you know, now I, 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 they could be more and I, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to buckle. I'm going to fight for the rest of my life, no matter what. The name of the book, by the way, is Hunter of Hope, the story of Ken Green's life and the title, obviously in honor and in, in memory of his son. What is, what is today look like? What is, what is every day look like for for Kenny Green, tell me about the golf game. Uh, we've seen you in, at least I have, I've seen you in certain hand-selected events. It sounds like you're able to still play the game at a, at a decent level. Do you play it often? Just tell me what your uh, world, what, what I, does your world look like these days, Ken? I, I love golf. I would play golf every day. Now, one thing that we haven't unfortunately talked about is, is I have a very u- rare and unique problem that, of, in the amputee world is I have some uh, some bad nerve damage, okay. so I deal with a lot of pain. Um, for for those in your audience that are quote our age or my age, uh, it's the finger in the socket, the electric bolt. Yes, you know the taser type thing. Yes, that just hits me all the time, you know, and and just so it doesn't allow me to play as much as I would like. You know, I can't you know practice anymore or anything. Uh, you know, I can't go to movies anymore because the, the sound sets off the nerves. Uh, going to, into restaurants, if, the, if it's crowded, I usually have to leave because the nerves fire off. Uh, I just have overactive nerves now. Now, we've, we've frozen them. We've burned them. We've cut them. Uh, and uh, two years ago, we uh, cut more leg off, hoping that maybe we could get rid of them totally. And it turned out... Uh, that the doctors had left the clamp on one nerve. Oh my so God. that nerve went nuts oh and he left God. another nerve stitched to the blood vessel. Oh so that nerve was going nuts. And then all the other nerves around it go nuts. Uh, your average, your average nerve is about two centimeters. Uh, and mine, I had 12 of them that were 10 meters, 10, 10 centimeters. So that's why they're firing all the time. Uh, so I don't get, um, the constant bolts, 24/7, but I still have them a lot. But you know, my pain has been cut in half, so I'm happy. But uh, it's still it's still a painful life, and it stinks. But I, you know, again, I I'm gonna I'm gonna still do everything I can. 
Do you have confidants? Do you have people to talk to? I mean, you've lived the life of a thousand people, for goodness sakes. The good parts and the really, really shitty parts. Do you right. have Do you have somebody to bounce things I, off I do, of? Yeah. yeah. I, I do. And, you know, the, the great thing about me not uh, ever talking about it, you know, like Honduras, you know, is I, I pride myself on learning from my mistakes. So now... I'm open, you know, well, I mean, I was always open anyway, but now I'm really open in terms of, you know, how you're feeling and, and, and talking about those days where you're, you're wondering, you know, what you did wrong or what could you, you know, how, you know, what, what decisions did you make that might've screwed this up for Hunter or, you know, yeah. all the, you know, the, yeah. the kind of what if games you play. Sure. And I, I don't see anything wrong with the what if games, as long as you don't let them haunt you, you can learn, you, you, you know, you have to learn from your mistakes. And, you know, those who don't are going to repeat them. And, you know, one of the things I'm proud of the most is, is, is learning from my failures. What's next, Ken? Uh, well, I'm going to probably get a bite to eat and then go to bed. <laughs> uh, uh, no, and what's next is obviously, we'll, you know, I'll try to promote the book as much as I can. You know, because I, I, from what I'm told, it's a really good book in the sense that it it covers so many different emotions because one, obviously what, what a bizarre life I've had, but we've got, you know, there's, there's some that are hilarious, you know, some of the stories that I've told and about life and golf and all that. And, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, I can help somebody through the book and, uh, you know, I'm willing to talk to anybody, you know, my emails are, are open for everyone. So, uh, you know, if someone's in trouble and they want to talk, you know, they reach out to me via email, and then I'll talk to them, you know, over the phone. And, and sometimes we've even met with people. That's my goal is to, is to help and, and do what I can for everybody that, that uh, you know, has been, uh, you know, thrown a curveball in life. And some people aren't as stubborn as I am and, and, and just one-track mind of fight, fight, fight. Uh, and it's a little harder to recover from a lost son or a lost wife or, you know, losing limbs or depression and, you know, the sexual abuse and all that kind of stuff. But uh, so that's that's my hope that I can try to try to do some some more good and help some more people. The fact that nobody has hired you to talk golf is like the biggest upset and shock in the world. You're articulate. You're outspoken. You don't hold back. You're, as we say, unfiltered. You know, the game as well as anybody. I- I'm stunned that we're not watching you or hearing from you week to week you 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 are always welcome in fact you probably opened a can of worms now you're going to start ducking my calls because i'll be i'll be calling you to talk golf over and over again i just can't believe that you're not somebody's analyst that's unbelievable i i've always wondered about that i i remember once you know 20 years ago uh nbc tried to hire me and and you know i was just coming out of the depression and i wanted to fight on and and um i i'm a little I'm, I'm baffled by it, to be honest with you, because I, I do, you know, obviously I, I, I'm knowledgeable and I have a unique way of saying things that, that, that the average Joe will understand versus all the prim and proper baloney that the idiots give you on TV. And, you know, the, the, the idea that Nick Faldo is out there, who is the biggest jerk on the planet, and people think that he's this great guy, and it's like, yay, yay, yay. But, you know, that's, that's the game of life, I guess. I, I don't get it. What do you think about the game these days? What do you think about uh, Tigers' win at Augusta? What do you think about the state 
of uh, of the game, the game of golf? Well, I've I've said for even before Tiger came back that he's going to win multiple majors. He's just too good. Now, I'm, I'm not a Tiger fan personally, but as a golfer, he's phenomenal. Uh, and it, it's it, it's just a no-brainer. He's just too good. Now, what one thing that does scare me that that I don't think the PGA or the USGA or the tour cares about is the game of golf and where we're going because we're losing people left and right and golf is not in a good shape and we're about to turn the golf into a top 5% a game again and we have got to figure out a way to get these kids back out on the golf course and I don't think the PGA of America is selling it right uh, we all know that Young teenagers are, you know, 11 on, in most cases, don't really want to spend too much time with their parents. Well, for whatever reason, they will go to the golf course and play golf with them. So if you want to have a good relationship with your kids as they get into those troubling years, yeah. you, you learn to play golf, and you guys play golf together. And now you've built a relationship that will last you 50 years. Because how many times do you see a parents that are – that are 60 and you know, the kids that are 35 and they kind of have nothing to talk about or nothing to do. They kind of yeah. look at each other like they're idiots. And it's, it's with golf, you can play it till you drop. And you, you, for the most case, there's very little trouble in golf. You know, always, you know, there's always an occasional guy, but you know, cause you know, think about it. You're young, you're, you're hanging around adults all the time, which you love as a kid, because it makes you feel like, you're, you know, better than, than just the normal 11 year old. And, and, and you're, you know, you're building relationships. They, they learn how to behave. They learn how to respect it. Golf's a no brainer for kids. And all, all the families are doing is sticking these iPads and iPhones in their face so they don't have to pay attention to them. And we're about to ruin the game of golf. Some of us are trying to grab those iPhones and phones and iPads away from them. <laughs> I, I don't know about the people oh. that are giving it to them. But, Ken, I, I, just, I just can't tell you how, I, how much I appreciate you being willing to spend some extended time with us on this, on this show. I, I think, and I know, I, I shouldn't say I think, because I've told my story in the very first episode of this podcast, and now that you've shared yours, you're going to help somebody. There are people out there listening to this that you've really, really helped. And I admire you for your courage, your sincere ability to be able to articulate such a life, a life full of problems, mistakes, bad choices, unfair twists. I hope that we can call upon you just to come on and laugh and talk about golf. Uh, and I just send, on behalf of the entire audience, a lot of positive energy Ken Green's way. I really appreciate that. And, I, and just for the viewers, um, I'm dead serious when I say that. Just remember, Ken at OneLegGreen.com. <laughs> and, and, and the name of the book is Hunter. The name of the book is Hunter of Hope. But if, Hunter if somebody Hope. wants to talk, just email me and we'll figure out how to talk. Give and, that email address again. Give that email address again. Ken at OneLegGreen.com. Amazing. You're the best, Ken. Thank you very, very much for being with us. You got it, big boy. Take care. Wow. Ken Green, multiple PGA Tour winner and overcoming way too many of life's obstacles. Unbelievable. 
work or live in downtown Seattle, you now have the opportunity to discover Seattle's most unique downtown bar. It's called the Rick House Whiskey Bar, located the downtown Daniels Broiler in the new Hyatt Regency. The Rick House Whiskey Bar, a secluded IN bar featuring over 150 of the finest spirits from around the world. The Rick House Whiskey Bar has two happy hours from 4 to 6.30 and 9 p.m. to close. You can take $4 off of any of these Daniels classics like filet mignon steak strips, classic steakhouse burgers, bacon-wrapped scallops, Dungeness crab legs, fried calamari, and much more. Daniel's world-class quality is on display at its happy hours. Experience a world-class downtown bar, the Rick House Whiskey Bar, at the new downtown Daniel's at the Hyatt Regency, easy to get to, and a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. Third down. Towards the end zone, caught, touchdown Seahawks. And now, Jazz Ferguson playing sweet music for the first touchdown of the game. Defense coming on third down. Sacked in the end zone, went to be a safety. Deshaun Shedd gets the credit. Where's Jazz? Pulling it down, got running room. Trying to dive, leans over and gets the touchdown. All righty, the first of four exhibition games in the books. Let's break it down with our guy, Brady Henderson, Seahawks insider for ESPN, ESPN.com. It's presented by our terrific new partner, Fireside Home Solutions, a new fireplace this football season. Could give your home a brand new look. Please check them out at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Brady, we'll get to the specifics, but overall, Pete Carroll pleased. That doesn't say much because he's always pleased. Uh, Should Seahawks fans be pleased, do you think? Yeah, you know, there's really not a ton that they were going to learn about, you know, really the, the 2019 football team in terms of the starters in that game just because there were only a handful of starters playing, um, you know, as we know, and you know, including Russell Wilson being one of those starters on the bench. So um, I think that, you know, one takeaway that a fan could have is, you know, if, God forbid, something ever happened to Russell Wilson – it might not be as big of a disaster as, as you thought. And, um, you know, you have to take everything, of course, with a grain of salt because this is preseason. So what, what you saw from Paxton Lynch was he was playing against, um, you know, a lot of guys who were probably not even going to be in the NFL come September 8th. Uh, but he was the guy that stood out the most to me. And if you would have asked me before Thursday night what the chances are of Lynch beating out Geno Smith for the backup job, I would have said minimal at best, next to no chance. And it's not just – it's not really that Smith has been great. It's that Lynch has really struggled in practice, both with his accuracy uh, and just his decisiveness. And you really saw both of those things working for him Thursday night, save for – you know, really he had that that ugly kind of misfire on that first throw uh, when he kind of threw it into a dirt into – you know, towards an open receiver in the flat – and then after that, he looked like a very competent quarterback. Uh, not only that, he showed some nice wheels, which is one thing that he does really well. For a guy who's 6'7", once he gets going, he moves very well. And you saw that 
uh, on that touchdown run, and I think on another yeah. uh, another run or two. So um, again, you take it with a grain of salt because it's the you know second and or it's the third and fourth quarter of, a, of the first preseason game. But I do think that that gap between him and Geno Smith is at least a little bit closer than okay. it was. But but you're not putting Lynch ahead of Geno right now. You don't think he's ahead of Geno on the Seahawks depth chart. And then how does it play into it that it appears that Geno won't be able to play in this next preseason game, maybe even the following preseason game because of this uh, surgery to remove the cyst? How does that play into this competition? Yeah, I mean, I still think that if you had to pick it right now, it would be Geno just because there's been a lot more training camp and off-season practices than there has been that one uh, preseason game. And, you know, from the sounds of it, Pete Carroll said um, that they do think that Smith is going to have a good chance to be back by that next game. So they're going to benefit from having 10 days in between their first and second preseason game. And he made it sound like there's going to be a good chance that Smith gets back. It's, um, you know, as far as procedures go, this is one procedure having a cyst remove. Um, not that I'm a doctor or anything, but okay. that is one procedure that a guy could come back, you know, quickly enough from. Okay. So what I would be interested to see is are they going to switch it up and, and let yeah. give Paxton yeah. Lynch the first crack? Right. That way you're seeing him against more starters uh, and less, you know, third and fourth stringers. Um, I, th- I think if you're going to have a, a fair evaluation, you've got to do that at some point. Well, that'll happen this week, right? Because if Russell Wilson plays, he'll play minimally. And then Geno probably won't play at least this week, and that'll bring Paxton Lynch in against some more regulars for the Minnesota Vikings defense, correct? Sure, and, and you know we'll see about uh, whether or not Lynch plays this week. Pete Carroll did say that, um, you know, it, I think when he was talking about the injury without really specifying what it was, I think on Wednesday, whenever so that was, he yeah. did say that, that it was so minimal that okay. they, they thought that okay. they would he, he would be back. But okay. um, you never know. It, it is a surgical procedure, um, and you really don't really okay. need to have the guy there for that second preseason game. All but right. we will see. Most eyes, I think you'll agree, I think everybody agrees, the most intriguing just to see him in a Seahawks uniform and playing, if not a real game, an exhibition game. Everybody was waiting to see big number 14, Brady. They saw him, DK Metcalf. He caught two passes. One was called back. He did beat a four-time pro bowler on the first ever catch as a Seahawk. He got behind the defense a few times and just barely missed on connections. Overall, I don't know. I've been skeptical because of uh, all the things I know about DK Metcalf and where he was drafted and how many teams passed on him. But overall, from where I sit, there were some things that were kind of exciting because you expect Russell Wilson to fit that ball in on some of those long balls. What would you think of DK? Yeah, absolutely. And that was the, the first thing that I thought of when you saw those. You know, he had the one deep ball go off his fingertips from Geno Smith. Uh, you had the other one that was maybe just like a foot overthrown, you know, both from Geno Smith. And what do we know about Russell Wilson is that his best skill might be throwing the deep ball. And we've seen that enough times in practice, you know, those two guys hooking up on deep passes to think that if that was Russell throwing those balls, uh, those at least one of those, if not both of them, might have been completions. And, you know, he, he only officially had the one catch. He also had one wiped out by a pretty ticky-tack block in the back penalty on David Moore. So right, right. Um, you, you look at the stat sheet and you see one catch. That very easily could have been a really big night. And Pete Carroll, I think, had a, a quote along those lines saying he was just a hair off uh, from having a pretty spectacular night. So um, that said, you know, it, there was a big receiver who stole the show. It maybe wasn't the, the big receiver that we all thought it was. Yeah. Uh, I thought Jazz, Jazz Ferguson had a tremendous night. And talk about a guy who was – 
made a, a awfully big turnaround. You know, when you remember he showed up, Pete Carroll said he was 10 to 12 pounds overweight at rookie minicamp, and for an undrafted player to do that, that is that is not the way that an undrafted guy uh, sticks on a 53-man roster. And so he is, you know, between the two touchdowns he had in the scrimmage and the big night he had Thursday, it's been a very nice turnaround for Jazz Ferguson. Would he make the team if the uh... – you know, the old expression, if the preseason ended today, if the exhibition season ended today, which it doesn't, and it's stupid to even talk about, sorry, Hugh, would Jazz Ferguson make the team? I don't think so. Uh, okay. It would be awfully close. And the only reason I say that is because um, you've got, you know, you've got more, you've, you're, already, you're already pretty set with big guys there, with DK, you know, Jerron Brown is a bigger receiver. David Moore is not a big huge guy but he plays that way uh, when you look at his ability to go up and get footballs I, I would wonder if they might be inclined to go with more of a slot type guy uh, somebody like Keenan Reynolds Terry Wright or John Ursua um, but you never know I mean a lot of these decisions are made based on who they think they could sneak through uh, waivers and get on the practice squad yep. and a 6'5 guy who runs Two, you know, uh, 228 who runs like what we saw Jazz Ferguson running. Um, I don't know if you're going to get that guy through waivers, so that's going to factor into that decision. The voice of Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com, and Mitch Unfiltered, terrific Seahawks insider. Most homes have these old, ugly fireplaces that seriously cramp the style of your house. Well, Fireside Home Solutions in Seattle makes it easy to find the fireplace that's perfect for your family. They'll even do a free in-home consultation to go over all the options that could work for you. Check them out, firesidehomesolutions.com. All right, Brady, let's go position by position and just get a just a, a remark or two. And if we've learned nothing, we'll say, okay, it was preseason game number one. We didn't learn anything from that group, and we'll move on to the next one. We've done quarterbacks, running backs, no Carson. We saw a little spark from Penny, I think, on a screen pass. That was nice. But all in all, we didn't learn much from the running backs either. An, an exhibition game number one, right? Yeah, no, we did not. And, and, and you obviously know Carson and Penny are, are going to be on the team, and so the battle is going to be, is it Travis Homer? Is it uh, J.D. McKissick? Is it C.J. Procise? Probably not. Um, Bo Scarborough. So uh, Bo Scarborough had the hand injury. doesn't sound serious, but we're going to learn more about the running backs, right. I think, in the coming all right. weeks. All right, wide receiver, obviously all about Jazz Ferguson. You talked about that. I saw your tweet, and man, I guess really mediocre minds think alike. You said that you <laughs> saw John Ursua, the uh, the possession guy who had like 16 touchdowns at Hawaii last year. He was a late-round draft choice, uh, a, a real kind of savvy, experienced little guy. He, he got free over the middle wearing number 15 and made a play for about 20 or 23 yards. And who wore number 15, and who did he look like? when he made that catch in preseason game number one. Yeah, there, there's a little trivia for people down the road. Doug Baldwin, remember, he wore 15 as a rookie before switching to 89 in his second season. And, yeah, I could not help but think of Doug Baldwin when I saw, you know, 15 catching a ball over the middle and really that kind of fancy footwork to, to spring himself for a couple extra yards. So, um, you know, people are going to hear that and say, oh, he's the next Doug Baldwin. No, he just looked like Doug Baldwin quite a bit yeah. on one play. And, um, you know, that obviously, again, that, that is a, an area of need for them, somebody who can get over the middle out of the slot just because we figure Tyler Lockett is going to take some of those reps there. But Tyler Lockett is also a guy that you want to play on the outside because you want to get him those, uh, those better.
better matchups and those deep opportunities on play-action plays. So, uh, yeah, I thought I thought for his first game out, John Ursua comported himself pretty well. Okay, but we didn't learn anything else from really anybody. No Brown, no Lockett catches, no more catches. Jennings, I guess, did he have a catch that was called back? So, overall, in exhibition game number one, outside of Jazz Ferguson, and one moment from John Ursua, we'll call it an incomplete for wide receivers. Let's go to the offensive line. A uh, Fant hurt an ankle. You said uh, that 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 uh, uh, Pete Carroll called it what a legit ankle sprain. Legit. So we so we've got a unique ankle sprain, and we've got a legit ankle sprain. Where on the scale do those two fall? Which is which is more harsh and which is not? Well, I think if Pete Carroll, if if L.J. Collier's ankle injury wasn't as rare as it is, I think legit would probably be a descriptor that Pete Carroll <laughs> used for it because um, every indication has been that he's probably going to have a hard time playing uh, in the preseason. So you're looking at you know maybe coming back for uh, for week one for L.J. Collier. Um, so I think on the severity scale, I think they actually could be pretty similar. And uh, you know Pete Carroll was he did not have a ton of details on. Uh, Fant ankle sprain, and so I asked him, you know, is there is there any word, any indication of how serious this could be? And he said no, but he used the word legit, so definitely sounds like it's it's not one of those you know rolled ankles that you get on the basketball court and then you have to you know miss a few days. It sounds like it's going to be more a matter of weeks with George Fant. And this solidifies a Fetty. Not maybe you would say it doesn't matter, Mitch, because Fant wasn't beating a Fetty out for right tackle anyway, or did he have an outside shot? Do you think? The first one, yeah, okay. I, okay. I think he wasn't going to. Okay. Yeah, I mean, okay. Fant was obviously going to play a ton this year as, as that extra tackle, okay. uh, but I, I did not see right. him beating out Fetty, no. Uh, Brady, Brady Henderson with us. Anybody hurt themselves? Anybody help themselves along the offensive line in exhibition game number one? No, I mean, you know, we only saw the starters play, I think, you know, two or three series. Um, you know, so I, I did not – I was not watching the backup offensive linemen as much as I was uh, some of those other positions. But, you know, I think some of those guys, Jamarco Jones, um, you know, some of those younger tackles, I think those guys, by virtue of George Fant going down uh, with an injury that, you know, again, could keep him out a couple of weeks, I think some of those guys – just by virtue of that, maybe got a little bit of help. But, um, you know, it's still going to be an important preseason for Demetrius Knox and Phil Haynes just because, as we talked about, you cannot count on getting 32 starts combined out of Mike Ayupati and DJ Fluker. I think if you got 25, you'd take that. And so the backup guard spot is going to be maybe – you know, that, that bears watching more than it does in other seasons. Let's go over to the defensive side of the ball and get to uh, the man who's obsessed me with the pass rush, Mingo, the accounting firm of Mingo and Martin got through to the quarterback. Mingo did it later in the game, I think, against some backups. Uh, I, I would say the defensive line gave up a couple of long runs early, but in, in total, I think a pretty good against the ground game against the Broncos in exhibition game number one. How would you sum up the performances along the defensive line before we get to those linebackers? Yeah, there was that one big run, that 51-yard run, I think, by Royce Freeman on that opening drive. Um, you know, I wonder if how much of that is, you know, you have a team that does not tackle uh, to the ground during training camp or during at any point of the offseason. I wonder if, you know, that maybe kind of looked like a team that hasn't tackled since its last actual playoff game in, in January. Uh, so maybe there was some of that at play. But, you know, they, they buckled down at the end and, and forced a field goal. So, um, yeah, I thought there was, there was some good stuff there. Quentin Jefferson made a few nice plays in the backfield, as did Rasheem Green. Um, you know, with, with 
Barkevius Mingo, you do not often see a, a seventh, eighth-year guy playing deep into the fourth quarter like he was. Uh, but it, it makes sense because, you know, they're moving him to a new position. He started at strong side linebacker last year. It's a lot different position than playing end, which is what he primarily is. So it makes sense that they would want to get him as much work as possible. And, you know, I thought Jacob Martin had, you know, they both had two quarterback hits in one sack. Uh, Martins came a little earlier in the game. He also um, just seemingly was in the backfield quite a bit. So, uh, you know, we've talked about the pass rush question mark as much as anybody. Uh, everybody knows that is a big question mark, but I thought that was encouraging there that you saw two guys that they're going to be counting on quite a bit uh, do a little bit in that first preseason game. How about the linebackers? No Bobby, no KJ. Calicho played very well. I thought Barton's first uh, effort was admirable. He kind of reminds me of a young Zach Thomas. If he ends up being that, it would be unbelievable because I think Thomas is an NFL Hall of Famer, though he's not in. Go ahead. Take on the linebacker unit in, in game number one. Yeah, he had, he had a nice tackle, a nice physical play uh, on that opening drive. You know, Austin Calitro is a guy that he's kind of flying under the radar, and you forget that he was there last year and he actually played quite a bit. Um, at uh, multiple spots, and so he's a guy that if I'm picking my roster right now, there's zero question that he's going to be on the team. Um, he has quietly had a very nice preseason or nice training camp. Um, had some, you know, had a good play in coverage on a slant that was incomplete. Uh, just a guy who is always around the ball, uh, kind of like Cody Barton, but just you've seen a lot more of that from Austin Calitro. So. Um, I did not get a chance to see as much of, of BBK as I would have liked. You know, Pete Carroll had to comment that he he did a nice job um, of kind of you know disguising himself on that play that resulted in the Deshaun Shed safety, um, but that was really the only thing I really saw from him. So um, you know that'll be interesting to see once you get Bobby back and KJ back. I think that those both those guys are going to have a chance to play in that second preseason game. Uh, but certainly, yeah, the, the one guy that stood out most was Austin Calitro. Okay. Voice of Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com. Before you know it, our fireplace season will be in full swing. I can't recommend John and his team at Fireside highly enough. Go over to one of their showrooms like the flagship location. I was just there the other day on Northeast 20th Street in Bellevue. I call it North of Bway. All right. The secondary. We'll finish up with the secondary from exhibition game number one, Brady. Marquise Blair obviously is at the center of a lot of conversation and writing after his hit that got flagged, but he also had a pretty good game in total. He reminds me a little bit of the hammer, Ken Hamlin, when he first came out uh, on the Seahawks as a rookie. What about the secondary? How'd those two starting corners, because both of them played at the beginning, or is it just to, just not enough information to judge on the corners? Yeah, they, they did not play a ton, so there was, there was not much to see from those guys. But I think that's actually a, a fantastic comparison just because the more immediate comparison that comes to mind for, uh, for Marquise Blair is Cam Chancellor just because of sure. the physicality. Sure. But those are two completely different body types. Um, you know, for as, as physical as Marquise Blair was, at Utah, he is he is kind of a slight guy. I don't know how much over 200 pounds he weighs, and so Hamlin is is, uh, is that's the perfect comparison in terms of size and the style of play there. And um, you know, if you look at the replay of that hit that got flagged, you know, you could look at that and say, gosh, he what more could a guy try to do to get his head out of it? Um, but at the same time, that is the exact play that gets flagged 10 times out of 10 in today's NFL. You can argue that it shouldn't be a flag, but there's no argument that that play does not get flagged 10 times out of 10. So I thought, you know, what I'd like to see from him is that next big hit opportunity he had towards the sideline. You really saw him 
lower his strike zone, as they say, um, and really, really made an effort, it seemed like, to go for the guy's midsection and really get his head entirely out of the, out of the head and neck area. So okay. um, I, I thought he had a really, a really nice night. And you know, that was his MO, right, at Utah, is that physical play. And when you're talking about non, non-contact off-season practices, the Seahawks don't tackle to the ground in training camp. So that was the first time we really got to see that physicality. Okay. Um, and that's, it, was, it was cool to see. Okay, so get out the Brady-Henderson Index, the BHI, and tell me, type in input, starting safeties, McDougald and Blair, the combination of starting safeties in week one against Cincinnati, or do you think Blair still has work to do to beat out somebody else like Thompson for that job, that other safety job? Yeah, I think that he is – the, the BHI is getting a little bit confused right now because there's three uh, variables involved here. But I think that um, – yeah, I mean, it, look, it's, you, it's impossible to put Delano Hill – uh, as the favorite there, right? Just because we have not seen him practice right. at all, really, this offseason. So you got Hill, Thompson, uh, you got Hill, Thompson, and Blair. Come on, BHI, give me a percentage on each of those. I'm assuming those three, there's probably nobody else. Maybe you want to leave 2% open for a fourth guy that we don't know about, maybe that they acquire. So come on, BHI, give me a percentage on those three guys that equal up to 98%, would you say? Okay, I here it is. I will say... For Marquise Blair, I will say 41%. All right. For, uh, let's see how good a math I can do here on the fly. For <laughs> Hedrick Thompson, I will do 39%. All right, I'll help you. You're at 80. Okay. So 41 18. and 39. So you got 18%. For Delano Hill, yeah. yeah, for Delano Hill, I will do 18%. All right. And others, and for, others 2%. Yeah, other is the other 2%. All right, exactly. okay. So we're going to make Marquise Blair the favorite to be the starting safety, though we're not making him over 50-50. It's, it's, it's less than 50-50 that Blair's a starting safety. Final question for Brady Anderson. Uh, on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline, Brady, at Minnesota on Sunday night, you and I will discuss it right after it's over for that Monday episode. I guess that'll be 53 of Mitch Unfiltered. Uh, Russell Wilson, Chris Carson, uh, Dwayne Brown, Bobby Wagner, KJ, Puna... McDougald, are we going to see uh, of this group that we didn't see the first go around? Are we seeing them all the second time around? You think, Brady? Maybe not all of them. You know, I think with Wilson, I think a, a lot of whether or not he plays is dependent on how much Dwayne Brown and how much you know some of those other offensive linemen play. Just because it does not make any sense to put Russell Wilson out there behind a backup left tackle, backup right tackle. So I do think you're going to see more of them, uh, but I would not expect to see a ton, and, and especially a guy like Chris Carson, who has been as banged up, uh, who has had the injury history that he has. Look, you know what you have in Chris Carson. You know he's going to be your lead back. I don't think he needs a ton of reps in the preseason. And, and one point I'll make on Puna Ford, he did not play in that first preseason game. But from everything I understand, he was not hurt. I would take that as a sign that he is the favorite right now to be the starter next to Al Woods, at least while Jaron Reed is suspended. Um, he's had a very nice preseason. He, he was you know, working with the first team quite a bit, including in that scrimmage last weekend. So uh, just as an aside, that's kind of a sign to me that he's the favorite to start. Okay, over who? Over Earl Mitchell? 
Over Earl Mitchell, yeah, over some of those other guys okay. uh, that I'm drawing a blank on right now. Demarcus right. Christmas, who we haven't really seen much of. Not that you would expect a, a sixth-round pick to start. Uh, but, yeah, Earl Mitchell is the you know a veteran guy who started quite a few games. Um, but I think that right now, Puna Ford is probably in line to start over him. All right, Brady. Very good. Exhibition game number one in the books. Brady Henderson presented by Fireside Home Solutions. Thanks, Brady. Yeah, you bet. Thanks, Mitch. There he is, Brady Henderson, our guy, and also the ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com Seahawks insider on the week one of the preseason victory for the Seahawks over the Broncos a few nights back. Let's see what they have up their sleeve. We'll see Russell Wilson certainly in game two of this exhibition season. In the last 10 days alone, I've heard from a handful of people that are either going through the refinance process with the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage or starting from scratch with a brand new home. Rates could continue to drop the rest of the year. Time for homeowners to save money is here. So don't stand on the sidelines. Do what our producer Steve Dion did. He not only will save a ton of cash, but he couldn't have been happier with the patience and professionalism of Jordan Flowers' team over there at the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. In fact, Steve has offered to come on the show to discuss his perfect dealings with the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage maybe next week on episode 53. I continue to encourage all of the homeowners and our Mitch Unfiltered audience just to take a look at your numbers and better yet, pick up the phone and dial Guild Mortgage up 425-250-3150. 425-250-3150. It doesn't take but five or 10 minutes. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage has three top 1% brokers in the U.S. Again, it's 425-250-3150. Get a refi now, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Unfiltered. As you might expect, lots and lots of football interviews this year on Mitch Unfiltered, both college and pro, and they're all brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. How about a new fireplace this winter? They do fireplaces like nobody's business at Fireside Home Solutions. Garage doors, barbecue spaces, check them out at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. And joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline, our guy Jason Lockenfora, who's already been all over the place in training camps, is back home and getting ready to go back out again on the road. Where have you been so far, Jason? Uh, Let's see. I've seen it was with the Ravens, the Eagles, the Steelers, the Browns, the Bengals, the Colts, the Lions. Then I was at Hall of Canton for the weekend for Hall of Fame. Uh, I was at I saw Denver and Atlanta. I was at that game. Um, got home. Uh, then oh, then the Panthers. Then two days with the Panthers after Canton, and then uh, got home. Went to the Ravens Jags game on Thursday night, and then uh, spend a day here day and a half at home and then uh, have to go to New York for some mandatory CBS stuff and then uh, wow. hit a few more games from there. Pretty eh, good. It's all good. It's Pretty good. Of the year. Pretty good. Anything more interesting? I'm going to ask you about Zeke and the Cowboys because I know you wrote a piece about sure. the the uh, the signing and the holdout and all that stuff. But anything stand out? What stands out the most? Give me two or three. T- I know that you love Philadelphia from your visit with the Eagles. Let's start there. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was literally the first day of their camp so I don't want to go too crazy about what I saw you know what I mean because 
it's already kind of dated, but just in terms of the composition of the roster, um, the overall health they're in, uh, the way Jason Peters looked. Now, he may look by week three. Who knows? That might be out the window. But you see that, that you know, mountain of a man there on the left side, and you look at their two deeps, um, and it's, it's, an, it's an impressive group, man, all, all the way around. The D-line, I think, has a chance to be really special. Um, I know a lot was made about Bennett being gone and Chris Long and a few guys, but um, I, I think I just think Howie Roseman's built a monster there, and if they can avoid catastrophic injury, I, I think they win that division and, and maybe even handily. I, I'm not nearly as high on the Dallas Cowboys as some other people. Um, but we'll see. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Carson Wentz, seeing him running around without a brace or anything like that and, and totally free and, and not held back by anything um, medically, it was, it, 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 it's pretty impressive. Um, you know, unfortunately for me, a lot of these teams I saw, and you never know when you're planning this, a lot of these teams I saw either a day after they had been in pads or a day before they were going on pads yeah. in pads, which generally means I was seeing a lot of glorified walkthroughs. I, I did see the Browns in what was um, a long padded practice, a lot of 11-on-11, a lot of red zone. Um, you know, their, their talent is abundant. Um, whether or not they step in their own mess, you know, I, whether or not they, they can handle all the BS that comes with being um, a team with expectations and a team that's suddenly got a national spotlight on it for – reasons other than, you know, Hugh Jackson and, and being the worst outfit in professional sports. You know, I don't know. I, 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 frankly, I, I wasn't impressed with how Freddie Kitchens handled this Bob Wiley situation. Yeah. You know, I think he took a molehill and made it a mountain. Um, so I don't know. You know, stuff like that gives me a little pause. But, but seeing that whole division, I mean, I think everybody but the Bengals in that division could, could end up winning 11 or 12 games. It really – it really wouldn't shock me how that, you know, I can't tell you which order. Um, I think Cleveland has the most talent, but they've got, you know, the, the most inexperienced head coach, and they're the least cohesive team in the league, right? There, there's all that change there, and does everybody bond right away, yada, yada, yada. So we'll see. Um, you know, unfortunately, Indianapolis, the day I was there, Luck was supposed to practice, and that was the day he came out and said, yeah, this calf is still an ouchie. And I'm not doing anything, you know. So, obviously, my takeaway from there was, okay, well, how are these people reacting? Um, not just what they're saying on the record, but, but literally being there, like, as the GM's being told. Right. Like, hey, Andrew's, Andrew's a no-go. And it didn't seem like the sky was falling, and people weren't totally freaking out. Um, I, I'm sure he will be able to give it a go week one, but is that something that nags him through the season? Is that something he aggravates in October or November or whenever. I mean, nobody can predict that right now, but you'd certainly rather have him practicing than not. Um, you know, so those were, you know, a few few things that, that sort of caught my eye. And I guess I'd also say that I went into Latrobe Steelers camp a skeptic on addition by subtraction, and I came out of there kind of buying it. Like, Ben's still going to throw, like, 36 touchdowns. You know what I mean? Now, 18 of them aren't going to Antonio Brown, but I still think he's throwing 32 to 36 touchdowns. You know, I think he's going to throw from, for 42 to 4,800 yards. Now, 1,600 of them aren't going to one guy, but I, I still think at the end of the day, the Good. gross numbers aren't going to be drastically different. Good fantasy numbers. Those are good fantasy numbers from Big Ben. I don't think well, anybody. Right. I don't and, think anybody. I, mean, I don't think anybody's going to trap. You know, whether AB is able to replicate that in in 
Oakland and, and what, you know, what Le'Veon Bell does with the Jets remains to be seen. I, I tend to think they will both have um, very strong seasons and will make fantasy players who draft them, especially if you get them at a little bit of a bargain, a lot of money. Uh, but, but I, you know, I think the Steelers' offense will, will still, you know, kind of sort of hum along. Um, the questions there are defense and pass rush and um, depth of secondary and, and things like that. But uh, I, I think they'll be I, – I, part of me this summer was like that might be a 500 team, and, and I, I don't feel that way anymore. I, I, think, I think Pittsburgh at the very least will be contending for a division title down to the final weeks of the season. Did I hear Copper disagreeing with you on the Eagles or the NFC East or the Cowboys? Yeah, I just think he's he's disagreeable in general. We're getting some work done on the house. And uh, they were supposed to start – the original plan was they were going to start July the 1st and be done by the start of the regular season. They started yesterday, Mitch. So it's, I'm already hating life. Like when everybody's at school and it's me and him at home and I'm trying to get GMs on the phone and do these radio interviews and do hits for CBS HQ Uh-oh. in my basement. And every 30 seconds somebody's laying another – brick and he's freaking out I'm, I'm seriously gonna have to get him like when he had his acl surgery they gave us some killer doggy downers that just wiped him out like uh, i gotta see if those are still a year later they're probably not good but i gotta get a new prescription because this was supposed to be i don't think it's gonna be done my guess right now is it won't be done till like after halloween and this was supposed to be done like mid-september so yeah It'll be fun. All of our football chats this year will be presented by Fireside Home Solutions. Fireplaces, garage doors, barbecue spaces, they do it all at Fireside Home Solutions. You talked about the Cowboys, but you didn't talk about Zeke. The big big story, although I, I laugh at it, is that he's ready to sit out the season. It would be a bigger. Right. It would be a bigger story if he didn't say that he was ready to sit out the season, because that's what you have to say when you're trying to get a new contract. Uh, what do you think about him, Cooper, uh, Prescott, all the signings that the Dallas Cowboys need to do over the next couple of years? I guess it is over the next year or so. I I think he is the most important, you know, Elliot. But he also comes with the most baggage and the most potential. Uh, pitfalls, and he plays a position where Nobody's attrition, yeah. you know, you're already talking attrition at his position, I didn't think I'd be rhyming here, <laughs> in year four, you know what I mean? And you're, in the case of Gurley, he gets paid in year three, and by the middle of that season, you're like, whoa, you know, half a season into that mega contract. So all that complicates things, but I, I just think this, this whole thing is laughable. Like, he, he, he's already lost in a crude season, so if he comes back and plays this year, and you look at, you know, you go in the NFL management system at the end of in 2020 and look up, you know, punch in Ezekiel Elliott, it's going to say, it's still going to say three seasons. So he's lost a year towards free agency. He's lost a year towards pensions. If he sits out a year, he comes back, he's still a restricted free agent who they, whose rights they have for, you know, year four of the contract, the fifth year option, plus two potential franchise tags. Like, he, he's, this is not Le'Veon Bell. It's not close to it. He, he hasn't earned that kind of money. And he hasn't played out a year already, you know what I mean, on, on a tag. He's, he's, he's still he, basically in, in, in the scope of the NFL, he, he's still, uh, you know, just another three-year player. So 
he's going to take Bird in hand right before the season starts. I've been told unequivocally by people very close to him who uh, I have come to trust over the years nice. that this was not a situation that, that was going to bleed into the regular season. Jerry already had enough money on the table that there was a deal to be done, but why does he have to do it now? If, you know, if, if a couple of their other running backs get hurt and it makes him a little bit more money or they come out in the preseason and they can't run the ball at all, How much money are we and it talking makes him about? a little bit more money, how much he, money he wouldn't be about? doing anything now anyway. You know what I mean? He would be standing on the sidelines holding his helmet. There's no way they would be. In a year where Jerry Jones thinks he's got a chance to get to the Super Bowl, and he knows that's the most important player on his offense, this would be like Todd Gurley last preseason. He's not going to play anyway. You know? So it, 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 eventually there's an end game here that, that will be realized in September. But in the meantime, he'll be in, you know, he better be in good shape. He should be in good shape. He, he's, had to, he's had long absences before, right, coming back from the suspension. And he knows that he knows the money's there for him. Is it going to be everything he wants? Is it going to beat Gurley? Probably not. But when you get to September the 1st and you're looking at um, – you know, if you hold out a whole year, you gain nothing. If you come back and play on your rookie contract and get hurt, you still don't even get that year towards free agency, so you gain nothing. Eventually, he's going to take what's on the table, and he's going to do it before it costs him real money. So what is the money we're talking about? I don't even know. What's girly money, and what does uh, what does Ezekiel Elliott figure to make when he does I mean, it? in terms of the girly guarantees and the injury guarantees, I, I don't think he's going to get that. But, I mean, you've got, you had Le'Veon Bell come in you know, around fourteen five a year. Now, that was a year-to-year deal. Um, but a, a base salary in that range, I, I'm sure Jerry will give him his fifteen a year. But how much of it's truly going to be guaranteed? You know, I, I think the full guarantee, um, the devil will be in the details there. Okay. But regardless, you know, he's going to have a chance to earn exponentially more money than he would have playing out this contract. So he'll be there in week one, you think, and I agree. Will, uh, yeah. will Melvin Gordon, all these fantasy football league owners want to know, should they draft Melvin Gordon? Should they draft Zeke Elliott? Are you as confident that Melvin Gordon will be in the Chargers uh, lineup week one? Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, again, same thing. He He's nowhere close to unrestricted free agency. He's nowhere close to getting his freedom. You know, sitting out a whole year isn't going to change his lot. Um, people, you know, unless Bill O'Brien, you know, keeps freaking out, and if Duke Johnson's worth a three, then, you know, and by his estimation, what's Melvin Gordon worth? Um, but let's be real, that's, that's not going to happen. They just traded a three for Duke Johnson. They're not going to trade a one or something for for Melvin Gordon. And other than that, I mean, even if a team has an injury, I mean, look at teams who've lost backs on the fly and not have it affect them. Like last year, the Steelers, you know, finally figure out, okay, Le'Veon Bell's never going to play for us. They, they were one, net yardage, net rushing yardage from the year before with Bell to last year without Bell. They were down 150 yards for the season, I mean, for the season, over 16 games. They were down 10 yards a game. Um, you know, Kareem Hunt, you know, gets chucked out of the league midseason season. Does Damian Williams, anybody ever heard of Damian Williams? You know what I mean? You've got a good offensive construct. I'm, raise, I'm raising my <laughs> hand. I know Damian Williams. Was it, is this the Nobody. same Damian Williams that was on the Dolphins that I watched play for my Dolphins all the time? Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, so that, that, you know, all that stuff is working against Melvin Gordon. I mean, you had this kid Montgomery with the Bears showing in the first. There's going to be any number of young backs. I was at the Ravens game last night. Justice Hill, you know, a mid-round pick comes in. He's more twitchy and explosive than any running back they've had here in a long time. Like, they're growing on trees. So, 
Melvin Gordon, I think, will eventually – the goal, the end game for Melvin Gordon, I think, won't, won't be the kind of deal that Zeke gets. It'll be how much money can I get in my pocket the next 18 months because I'm probably not long for here. So let me look at hmm, what would the franchise tag be for me a year from now. So let me add that plus what I'm supposed to make this year, and let me try to get 70% of it fully guaranteed, you know, and get language in there that they can't franchise me twice in a row or whatever, you know, they can't franchise me after this extension is done. And then I think you call it a day. They've got a short window there with Phillip Rivers. Um, there's not going to be value in a trade for them, I don't think, again, in, unless somebody overreacts. But but most teams aren't going to do that, especially at that position. All right, Jason's got to go to Dora the Explorer. So give me two last uh, answers, and then you can run and watch this uh this Academy Award-winning presentation of Dora the Explorer. It's going to be epic. <laughs> you were at Brown's camp. Everybody's the kids ma- are already there holding my seat. All right, it's going good. to be amazing. Good. You know, the last time I went to uh, a movie where the kids held my seat, Nelson Cruz was sitting in my seat when I got there, so I had to sit away from my family. Oh, you told because, me about that. Yeah, he was a yeah. seat swiper. Okay, before you go. You see him uh, twice yeah. in the span of nine days. He yeah. had three home run games. He's amazing, isn't he? Unbelievable. He's amazing. Unbelievable. And he doesn't hit. He doesn't scrape the wall when he hits him. He, he really hits him. No. Uh, no, he uh, gets him. Amazing. Okay, so before you go, you rep Brown's camp. Everybody's making, you talk about a mountain out of a molehill. A lot. Well, maybe you won't agree. It seems to me that everybody's making a mountain out of a molehill over the the beer chugging incident of ba- Baker Mayfield at the baseball game. Uh, maybe Cleveland that, Browns fans are sensi- yeah. they're sensitive about this because of Johnny Manziel and their recent history with quarterbacks. What's yeah. your take on it? Yeah, <clears throat> he's what twenty three year old kid. Yep, he basically saved the franchise last year. He um, clearly loves being a Cleveland Brown and being a part of what could turn out to be one of the more monumental turnarounds in NFL. I mean, it already was. Like, they won one game in like two and a half years and went five and two down the stretch. Right. And all that changed was they S-canned the worst coach in NFL history. Right? It's not like they went out and made 18 trades at the deadline and rechanged their I mean, they changed coaches. Well, they that have now. It. They've now made a lot of changes to their, their personnel. Yeah. yeah. And they've added to that even more. You know, him doing that in the heat of the moment, look, he loves the big stage. He's, he's, there's, a, there's a look at me factor to him, but I think that's part of what makes him great. I mean, this was a kid who bounced around from program to program, right? And, you know, Cliff Kingsbury, eh, not good enough. You know what I mean? Like, uh, so I get the chip on the shoulder, and, and, and I think that all goes into his mentality and makes him the gamer that he is. Um, the only issue I've ever had with him is when he got in Duke Johnson's wallet, and I don't think he'll ever make that mistake again. To remind me, what's the Baker Mayfield Duke Johnson story? What, he, took, he took money out of his wallet? Well, when, when Johnson was, was demanding a trade, he basically came out and sort of chastised him a little bit for that. Oh, and for a dude who's been in the league a half second. Oh, that's right. You know, that's right. Okay. If a guy's going to hold out, if a guy's demanding a trade, especially a guy who's in the, been in the league for a while, right. has established himself, and someone who's frankly was painfully underutilized by Hugh Jackson, you know, you don't get, you don't, you don't, that, that, you know, you don't talk about a guy's wife, you don't talk about a guy's religion, you don't talk about a guy's paycheck. You know, like that's just, you, that's taboo. And so he, he should have just butt the hell out of that situation. The voice of Jason Locke and Four brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. They were at the house the other day getting ready to change out my garage doors. No place better to do it than Fireside Home Solutions. Before you go, the NFC West, we, we're, we're one, uh, one preseason game into the books. We saw the Seahawks without Russell Wilson the other night. 
Everybody I talk to on this show that are uh, that are NFL quote unquote experts around the league, everybody seems to be intrigued by San Francisco. That they seem to have a roster that's built to win and might even be able to challenge the Rams in the NFC West. Do you agree with that? I don't think at the end of the day they're going to be up there with the Seahawks and the Rams, but could they be improved? I think absolutely, but I don't know what it is. For for years it was the Chargers, right? There's certain teams that you think have certain expectations, and then by the, by the start of the regular season they're already decimated, you know? And they can't get Jarek McKinnon back on the field, and Jason Verrett's out long-term already. And, you know, anytime a coach comes out in mid-August – and says the guy we just took second or third overall has a significant ankle injury. Like, they don't – you know what I mean? Coaches, of anything, want to downplay everything. Like, when, when Kyle Shanahan is like, yeah, he's got a significant ankle injury. That's not <laughs> – that's suboptimal. Uh, so, I, I don't know, man. I think if everything fell into place, that's a team that could, could have doubled its win total from a year ago. I, I don't think that was a team that was going to be – um, like, that's one of those teams where, you're like, you know, we're sitting there in week 13 at the NFL today and you're showing division, you know, who's leading their divisions, yep. and then, like, who's in the hunt for a wild card. You know what I mean? And it lists, like, nine teams, right. you know, in the hunt. Right. I think, unlike years past where they're not even on that graphic, I think in December, you know, they have a chance to be in that graphic. But are they going to ultimately win, you know, double-digit games and, and get to the postseason? I don't think so. I think any given week that offense, if, it, if it's got most of its parts, could give you fits. But I think the defense still has a ways to go. And if Bosa is not right, and that's, if that's something that he misses, you know, a five, six weeks, yeah. comes back, maybe it's a little too soon, bothers him all year. Like, that, that's, that, that's a concern. I would be – if I'm a 49ers fan, I'm already worried. And Verrett's a guy who – he's healthy like once every three years, but when he's healthy, he, he's, you know – damn good at what he does, but now he's out, and that's more pressure on Sherman and some of the older heads back there. I, I don't know, man. Um, it, it has not been a good first, whatever, two, three weeks of, of camp for them, just from an injury standpoint. Tell Swiper and Diego I said hello, and thank you for being back on Mitch Unfiltered. Jason no swiping. <laughs> enjoy it, and enjoy your uh, your next set of travels to training camps around the... Sounds uh, good, good, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, okay. my friend. My man Jason Lockenfora, NFL insider, CBS Sports. Evergreen Golf Call presents Evervestment, a brand new digital investing platform that combines the ease of a robo-advisor with decades of proven investment experience. For months, you've heard me talk about a favorite partner of mine, Evergreen Golf Call, a Northwest investment advisor offering premier wealth management services. Well, today... I'm excited to tell you about the launch of Evergreen's new digital investment platform called Evervestment. Historically, Evergreen Golf Call has catered its investment expertise solely to high net worth individuals. But now, using this online solution, you don't need to be a millionaire to get access to some of the same strategies that they use for clients, all at a discounted fee. The same investment guidance as Evergreen's high net worth clients at a lower fee. Evervestment combines the ease of a digital account onboarding with the benefits of an actively managed portfolio with decades of investment experience to back it up. Evervestment also provides you access to an actual human advisor should you need it, not some pop-up chat box on their website. So whether you're saving for your first vacation home or your first day of retirement, 
Evervestment can get you there. All you have to do is head to their site, www.evervestment.com, and it will guide you through the process to start investing for your future today. Evervestment from Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Before we name the uh, the episode here, it's going to be episode Ray Lewis, even though neither of us really like. Yeah. I think I get the feeling that most football fans not in Baltimore. Should I say most? There are a lot of football fans that don't really like Ray Lewis. There's a whole look at me thing yeah. going on with that dance. You said it doesn't bother the dance doesn't There's bother There's a look me. at me thing when at the dance. I, I don't know. He was a great player. He's a great football player. And a friend of mine who played for the Washington Huskies played running back, went up against Ray Lewis, and there's a great – Really? Great, because uh, the Huskies played Miami in 94, I think. Yeah, 94, when they uh, they got the wind down on the Orange Bowl. But Ray Lewis grabbed my friend's face mask. He played running back, twisted it all the way around. There's this great picture my friend has of his helmet completely all the way around with Ray Lewis on the other end of it. So And no and no penalty. I don't think there was a penalty. <laughs> no. Not in Miami, believe me. That wasn't getting thrown. <laughs> Antonio Brown – is in the news again. The saga, the soap opera of Antonio Brown. Why are we There's not watching Hard something. Knocks, by the way? Well, are we just not talking about blistered feet <laughs> yes. and, and uh, frostbite on the feet? Cryogenic Now therapy. Antonio Brown is going to retire, so he says, if he can't use his old helmet. He wants to use his old helmet. And the NFL, which negotiated this with the Players Association, so everybody's on board. Every player, every owner, it's the one thing that that – I believe all players and management agree on, yeah. except for one guy, <laughs> that we should use safer helmets. So they've got like 19 helmets that are, that are ratified, that are okay, that mm-hmm. conform, and he wants to use his old helmet because he can't see very well. And if he can't use his old helmet, he's taking his ball and going home. But that's not the best part of the story. I don't know whether you've read what he tried to do. No, I haven't. I'm going to read it to you. This is classic. <laughs> After Antonio Brown was told he couldn't wear his old helmet, he repainted it and tried to bring it to practice to fool people. (laughs) But it sounds like Brown isn't exactly a Bob Ross. (laughs) It's been reported that Brown repainted the helmet with colors that approximated the Raiders' The Raiders colors, God. black and silver, but they didn't completely match. It was a little when he oh, came with the God. repainted with the repainted helmet. It was a little off, so he couldn't sneak it in. So he's in his garage, just, just spray painting right. it. Yes, yes, and with newspaper underneath, and right? The whole thing. And, I, and I've heard that you you know you can sort of damage the helmets if you keep putting paint on it. The it kind of eats away at it too, so it's not. You know safe what else damages the hel- helmets? Contact. <laughs> yeah, right. Especially yeah, these, too. and it reminds me of an old Seinfeld bit. Which, again, you doing Delirious and me doing Seinfeld is probably not a good idea. Yeah. But he used to do this thing about skydivers. Okay. Wearing the helmets. Oh, right. Exactly. Did you ever hear that? Oh, but that it's routine? brilliant. Well, I mean, skydivers wearing the helmet. What exactly is the helmet doing for the skydiver? Right. You're going to get in a car accident it, in the middle he, of the yeah, air? And then he says, he says <laughs> if you fall all the way from like 15,000 feet, I don't think the helmet's really going to help. In fact... Aren't you really protecting the helmet? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's so true. It's like, and then he went through the like two helmets talking to each other. You got a big guy underneath you. I got, I got, I got a really small guy underneath. Oh, you. that, you're protecting the helmet. The helmet's not protected you. It's like George, why wear the helmets? George Carlin's bit about swabbing the person's arm before giving them a lethal injection. <laughs> 
<laughs> Same I thing, right? Carlin in concert. I've seen him three times. I'm a big really? fan. And wow. he was great once at the MGM. The other two, he seemed irritated and didn't want to be there. The yeah. sound was you bad, and he's bad, doing the thumbs up. a bad up. night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, there's Antonio Brown. Uh, Brian Cashman. I love this story. When I, I saw this. I Brian Cashman story. I saw the story. It, I sent it to you. Yeah, you yeah. sent it to me, and underneath was something about Peter King. So all I saw was Cashman and King and yeah, a friend we'll of mine. Yeah, we'll getting to King in a second. A friend yeah. of mine, Chris Cashman, works for King 5, and I thought, well, Chris Cashman had guns at him. Like, I couldn't figure it out. I was probably shouldn't look at my phone when I Chris drive. Chris Cashman, whose father is Pat Cashman. Pat Cashman. Yes. A legendary Seattle-based comedian. Almost right? live. Yeah. Radio show. Yeah. yeah. So Who's I'm the glad. other guy? What was a bald-headed guy's name? He was good, uh, too. John. Is he still around? John. John. With the, uh, with the hair on the side. Yeah, I really should know. Really funny guy, John something or other. Yeah, you had him yeah. on, I think, uh, oh, back I'm in sure. the radio I, I show days. I think both of those guys have been on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad it's not Chris, my friend. Okay, Brian Cashman, for people who don't know. John Keister. John Keister, thank, thank you. you very much. <laughs> Somebody call in? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the producer's <laughs> back there holding up a sign. Did a, did a caller flood in? <laughs> we just got flooded by a caller. Uh, Yankees general. Okay. Can you picture Brian Cashman? Oh, yeah. He's been there Can forever. everybody picture Brian Cashman? I think so. Tell somebody, tell your 10-year-old, Daddy, what does Brian Cashman look like? Oh. Explain to your, your, your 10-year-old what Brian Cashman looks like. How would you do that? I don't know. He's like a skinny guy, little, losing small, some hair. Guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it doesn't look like he could hurt a flea. Yeah, yeah. Right? This is what's funny, because you got picture. You got to picture him. He's in his Jeep. He's pulling out of like a gas station. And all of a sudden... He's surrounded by officers who tell him to get out of the car. He gets out of the car. Little Brian Cashman with the glasses, the Yankees GM, who couldn't hurt a fly, is told to get out of the car. And he all, all of us, he's got nine guns in his face. So scary. Not not like one or two. Nine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he's got nine guns. Imagine if you know one of the one of the one of the officers had a little. Too yeah. much to, you know, it was nervous or something. It was on the first day of the job and just happened to pull the trigger. Yeah, I mean, if, if you there do nine of them. Anything that they could deem uh, remotely aggressive, you're out. You're done. Like, yeah. Just the, now, I don't think, Bri again, I don't think Brian Cashman has to worry because I don't think he's done one thing aggressive in his life except for make for trades. Are you familiar with the actor named Michael Kelly? He's been in a few things. What yeah. is, is this a very good description of Brian Cashman? He's or? a lot tougher okay, and, all right, and, all right. and and more... <laughs> he's got a little more gumption. At least he looks like he's got a little more gumption. All right, fair enough. Brian I tried. Cashman, I don't know why. He just looks like... Like you just... The, he, the nerd of all nerds. You could push him over with like a... Yeah, like, flick him. Yeah, I mean, he's just... Yeah. yeah, and he's got nine guns in his face oh, because gosh. his car, his Jeep, was stolen earlier. They got it back. And nobody changed the database in the officer's database in New York oh. where it was resolved. So they still thought it was stolen. Yeah. He, he, no one called him in. And so when he pulled out and they saw it, they thought he was driving the stolen vehicle and he had nine guns in his face. Nine guns for a stolen vehicle seems a little excessive. Yeah, well, they were, they were looking for something to do, those, those officers. And then there's the story of Peter King, which I get a kick out of because Peter King, whom I've known... For 20, for since Washington, 30 years, I, I know Peter King 30 years, who can't stand the fact that I don't let him or I don't want him to come on on his cell phone and has given me a hard time for 30 years about me not wanting him on on his cell phone. Yeah. You know what happened to him? I do know what happened to him. He got. Would that ever happen on my show? That sure wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Lesson learned, Peter. Peter I tried King, telling you. I guess Dan Patrick doesn't have the same rules as Mitch Levy. That's right. Because he was not only on a cell phone, 
He uh, was on a cell phone driving. Yes, up to his face. Yeah. There's a lot of ways around that these days, too, if you have to be on a cell phone. It's amazing. Yeah, but you don't want Bluetooth that. on a radio show. You don't want, I'm telling you, you don't yeah. want cell phones. You definitely don't want Bluetooth. We have cell phones on the Mitch Unfiltered show all the time now because we can edit it. And, and phones are better it, now yeah, than they were. A little bit better. There's still a delay. Yeah. But I don't, like, if I call somebody and he's on his Bluetooth, I'll say, are you on a speaker? I'm on my Bluetooth. All right, let's wait. Let's wait until you get where you can at least get on the cell phone handset. He got pulled over, and he tried to talk his way out of the ticket by telling him, you know, I'm on with Dan Patrick. And the guy went, nice, and then he handed him the ticket. <laughs> Not as much as use as uh, Dan Patrick used to have. Huh? <laughs> oh, yeah? Sounds good. Here's the ticket. <laughs> so Peter King was issued a, a, uh, a ticket for being on a cell phone, which I didn't even know. I guess they can t- you can get pulled over for that now. Well, right? I, got, I told you I got pulled over by a bicycle cop for looking at my phone. So, yeah. So, it, without doing anything else. I thought you had to do something else, like the seatbelt lock. Can you be can you be pulled over for not wearing a – can somebody look in and pull you – or do you have to be doing something else I know else what you're wrong? saying. Yeah, it had to be something else too, like a reason to pull you over and then tack it on. No, I think they can just – in fact, I was driving to work the other day. I saw two different cops on bike, on motorcycles going up and down the traffic, like, and he was looking in every window, probably seeing if people were on their phone trying to get them. And that's wow. exactly where I got busted. So, yeah, I think you can just see a phone to someone's face. What, well, if, what if somebody says, I, I wasn't on the phone? It's a he said, she said. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a ticket because you're on the phone. No, I wasn't on the phone. Are you going to fight it? Are you going to go to court and go through all that? or Some guy got arrested is it, is for having points like a... points on your license? Does it hurt your insurance? I don't know about all that. I'm not sure. I do. How, do you, how does he... Does he have a camera of you on... I mean, what if you said, no, I just... I just was listening to see if there was something right. rattling in my phone. I wasn't on the phone. I well, there was a the story phone. recently about a guy eating a sandwich up to his face and he got pulled over. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a sandwich or a corn dog or something, and the cop thought he was on the phone. So, yeah, uh, it's a tough one. Just stay off your phones on the car. Can you? Are you allowed to eat and drive? That's a great question because I've I done did it. it the other day. Well, yeah, I've done it plenty of times, and, and that seems more distracting to me, arguably, than Depends being on, on your eating. phone. Yeah. I tried to eat a, uh, a Taco Time burrito the other day. Oh, I don't eat On my, my way driving oh. driving down to, uh, to Heck Ed. Lettuce everywhere. I don't like no that. No lettuce. Okay. No lettuce, but I was trying. It's tough. Because I was a little late, and I wanted to get down to see my son. Yeah. And I tried going over the bridge. It was very distracting. It the is. The fact that I didn't get in an accident, because <laughs> I was worried about getting sauce on my, on my pants yeah. And shirts and so I, I was really I, I said to myself after that drive I said self no no more you're not you're not eating and driving anymore but then I stopped at Burger Master on the way back <laughs> of course you did I'm surprised you eat in your car you strike me as someone who wouldn't want the mess almost never eat in my car yeah I don't either I was hungry and had, and had a had a dilemma on my hands anything else on your list uh, yeah, the uh, Dabo Sweeney. I don't know if you saw oh, that. Oh, Dabo Sweeney, go. Did you see this about the quarterback who started the first four games of the season? Yeah, this at is Clemson. so not Dabo like. But go ahead. What do you mean not Dabo? I'm curious. I don't really know go much ahead, about him. Go ahead, tell the story first, and I'll tell you why it's not Dabo like. Well, the guy who started at quarterback was Kelly Bryant. Know all about him. We beat him one year and yeah. almost beat him the next. In fact, the other guy, Sunshine, with all the blonde yeah, hair, Sunshine. he came in in the middle of that game, that Syracuse game, and and bailed him out. I think. Is that the one? I think that's the game he came in on. Yeah. Okay, well, nonetheless, Kelly Bryant, I think it is. Is yeah. that what I said? He yeah, yeah. won the first four games in a national championship season and then transferred once he saw Sunshine. I can't remember his name. Yeah. Come in. Lawrence. This, this great quarterback. Yeah. He transfers midway through the season, and Dabo Sweeney said, no national championship ring for you. This is uh, Twitter's been divided on this. You can make a case for close? both sides. Is it close or it, is it? it, it this it, is not Dabo-like. How so? Because he's like the nice guy. Oh, is he? Oh, 
Yeah, he comes across oh, okay. as the most appro- he is the he's the anti Nick Saban. I think Dabo's the anti Nick Saban. Always got something nice to say, always smiling, always approachable. This this I did not see this story until you told me before we started to record. And I'm surprised that Dabo Sweeney is taking this hard line approach. My my gut is how much I mean, it's obviously not about money. Clemson has more money. They're paying their players more than anybody. Oh, no, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, more than Alabama's paying. <laughs> uh, they're, 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 it can't be. It's not a money thing. Those rings are not that expensive. It's a principal thing. Yeah, Dabo's response was he wasn't on the team when we won it. Very simple. I don't know. In the NBA and in the NFL, I think you get rings if you're on. I think you even get a share. I think you even get a share of yeah. the Super Bowl if you were on the team at some point during the year for X amount of weeks and then you went somewhere else, I believe you get a you get a share of the Super Bowl take. Does does Devo- this, this doesn't seem right to me. I think that they you know, he, he he recruited the kid, right? The kid went to Clemson, he started for him, he only decided to leave because he was obviously not gonna play anymore. Yeah. I I don't know. Dabo says, quote, you got to be on the team to get a ring. I love Kelly and appreciate what he did for us, but he decided to move on. So he's out. No ring. You like that? No, I think it's petty. I do. I mean, my friend Steven did PA or like, you know, in the stadium for the Seattle Storm and he got a ring. <laughs> I mean, you know, doesn't it always trickle David down to David Kilbreth? To, uh, Steven, but yes. Steven Kilbreth. But I, I thought like you could have rings to anyone you want. Like the Seahawks, I'm sure there's like you know, equipment managers. Oh, yeah. And- Paul Allen was legendary when they won the Super Bowl. He gave every, I mean, he gave everybody. Yeah, right. Like, so you didn't get one? I don't. <laughs> Not yet. I'm waiting for it. So what does it hurt? Give him a ring. He was part of the team. And what would he, but would he wear it? Well, that's, that's would he care? another question. He would he want, want it? Does he want it? Right. He's not on that I team. I got replaced. I quit. I went to another school. He probably, it would only go in some box somewhere. But why, when he's 40. Why he, would he ever? When he's 40, he might look back on it and be like, that was a cool time in my life. A great decision. Yeah. I'm glad I left. I got to start him in the NFL. I you know. guess. Yeah. All right. Ray Lewis. Episode Ray Lewis. I think it's episode Ray Lewis. Yes. Episode Ray Lewis is in the books.